Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Great Northeast BJJ podcast. Uh, first, I uh, wanted to say thanks to all the people that are subscribing and listening, uh, not just in the Northeast, but nationally, as well as some subscribers we have worldwide. Thanks, guys, for listening. Keep it up. Um, secondly, uh, we had an opportunity to sit down and record with Jimmy Crash Quinlan uh, to record episode eight. Uh, really fantastic guy, longtime friend, longtime training partner, uh, one of just a beast of a competitor. Uh, this is a guy who was on the Ultimate Fighter TV show, fought in the UFC, um, was a super high level collegiate wrestler. Um, he's been Pan American champion as where, as well as world champion. This guy's won more tournaments than I can think of. So get a, he's also a black belt under, uh, Pat Barbieri and Nate Ryan down at mass BJJ sit down, uh, rap about, uh, competition strategy. A lot of the th- the wrestling, uh, theories and strategies that he's brought into BJJ that have made him successful. Uh, his life as a, as a police officer, uh, his continued training, where he's headed in the future, et cetera, et cetera. So give it a listen. Awesome podcast. Also, uh, if you would, go to www.greatnortheastbjj.com. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Give a, you know, Check out some of the other episodes we've done. Also, if you could, go to iTunes. Give us some likes. Help us push this podcast along. That's all I got. Uh, episode 8, Jimmy Quinlan. Give it a listen. Kind of like you getting laid this weekend. Well, then, you don't know me, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> whoa. Dude, tell me. So, I'm going to wait. I'm gonna... Rolling. Welcome. All right. To episode eight, the Great Northeast BJJ podcast brought to you live from the barn. This amazing podcast is brought to you by Tortuga Soap Company. I'm not. A... Many, many varieties for all your needs. Do you have sheep? Just no, but we're getting chickens. Once, we're going to have once, chickens pretty soon. For once, let's not go there. Let's not. Beard oil? If you got growing a beard, we got beard oil. I need some of that, by the way. Uh, you do. Frosh out of beard oil. It needs it. Hey, will that do something for the ringworm, by the way? <laughs> I probably. Be you nice. dirty bird. It's not me. I'll tell you what it is, and I will, I will call. I can't call him out, can I? No, we've been here before. That guy that came along with that other guy that... Is a brown belt from Port City. That guy who's his student that came to our academy. Dirtied you up. <laughs> yeah, dirtied me up. <laughs> that guy who's, I, I won't name names, Prison Steve. But the, uh, <laughs> the, the soap doesn't. The soap. Ringworm's a the fungus. Soap the soap does not is, cure cancer. No, but it. But yes, it, it does. But it makes you awesome. It might make, it might cure a lot Dan of things. Dan Dion said it cures cancer. Yeah. Um, I believe Derek Stevens from the Sharp Iron Society said it cures Ebola as well. So you should get some Tortuga soap. Um, it's good for you. There's no guarantees it's going to cure anything, but it'll make you smell good, <laughs> and that's all that matters. Yeah. It's true. Um, also brought to you by Crash Kimonos, designed in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Crashkimonos.net. Find custom-fitted kimonos uh Released just recently, the uh, the Big Woo, uh, the gi I worked with Abe in designing. Yeah, th- maybe the level's up a little bit. 
Um, so it's out now. Uh, I think the pre-order may or may not still be going. But uh, if, if you hit them up, you might be able to get in there. Super sweet gi. Uh, not that many great geese out there. Very cool uh, Hawaiian liner throughout, like Rash Guard liner. So if you get a chance, he's got a number of geese out there that are super yeah. cool. They fit great, uh, and it's a local business, so support it if you get a chance. Port City BJJ. Um, probably the coolest little academy in the entire world. Yep. Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Was the darkness a? The best kept secret in jiu-jitsu? Yeah, man. But it's not even... I was at Studio 540, and the guy there... Saw my gi, a crash kimono gi, actually, I think, too, with Port City on the back. And he's like, where do you train? I said, Port City, BJJ, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He's like, is that the place that looks like it has a black belt around? The-? I was like, yeah, man. He's like, right? Right? Props to the Riddler for coming up with that, right? Right. No, I'm saying, how awesome is that? Awesome. I was, it was so, and he's, he said, like, that was the most famous uh, um, Instagram post that he put up. Everybody loved it. And I was like, yeah, buddy. Yep. Port City, BJJ. And also, shout out to Richard's Photography for always taking awesome pictures of us. Certainly. Um, if you need photos, this guy is everywhere at all the competitions, making yep. ugly people look good. He, he's your guy at Icon, all the IBJJF uh, local tournaments. He's the guy taking pictures. So if you see him, give him a shout out. I know he's taking pictures now and he's selling them online. So if you see an awesome shot that you want to get for your own, just hit him up. Um, and also, uh, if you see it, you'll see him at the Boston Open this weekend. Stop by, say hello. Uh, his name's Gabe Richard. Very cool guy. Purple vault under uh, Port City BJJ. Yeah. So today's guest, Jimmy Quinlan, black yep. belt. Jimmy Crash Quinlan. Crash. MMA fighter, ex MMA fighter, ex wrestler. Not an ex wrestler. Not an ex. You're, you're a wrestler Kerm. for Kerm. life. <laughs> MMM M- M- eater. Current wrestler, I think Current you would say. wrestler. Ex-MMA Ex? Yeah, you done or are you still? Yeah, I'd say borderline ex-MMA fighter. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to, I'm not ready to kind of put the nail in the coffin on that one yet, but probably. Do you like it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think, like, why do it if you don't like it? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I just had this conversation with Nate last night, actually, is that, like, I love training for fights. Like, I love being in the gym and doing all that, and it kind of gives you the motivation, like, especially now as I get older and have, like, other things going on in my life. I love training for it, but, like, the actual act of, like, getting in the cage on fight night and doing that, I never actually enjoyed. Whereas, like, I love competition, like, wrestling and jiu-jitsu. I love that, but for whatever reason, the competition of MMA, I just never enjoyed. But the training part of it, I love. I would do that. And it wasn't an anxiety thing at all. It was just like that type of competition. Yeah, I was always very calm. Like I never had issues with nervousness or anxiety competing with that. But it was just like I remember after like even my early local fights, I would leave those and I'd drive home with Nate and just be like, "Man, I got nothing out of that. I didn't feel good when I won. I just kind of was like, "Eh, like I don't really like this." Yeah, it was a weird feeling, hard to describe. Which is weird too, because even like jujitsu tournaments, I feel like maybe going up to before and I'm like, "Uh, "What am I doing this for?" Then you do it, and I'm like, "Oh man, that was the greatest thing! Like I would love this. I want to do it again." I would suck if I at the end of the thing was like, "Oh man, that wasn't really," you know? You're like, "Blah." Yep. When when did you start wrestling, man? I started wrestling. Whose phone's ringing? Hello, this is Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm kidding. That wasn't for me. I started wrestling actually 1996. It was 20 years this year I've been wrestling. How old were you? Nine years old. So I. uh, it was kind of actually nice. a combination of really being a huge pro wrestling fan and <laughs> <laughs> I 
and <laughs> fucking body slam. Well, so wait people. a second. What kind of wrestling <laughs> are we talking about here? <laughs> I, I was so disappointed my first day I went in because I was kind of like huge fan of pro wrestling. We went in, it's all like double legs and half Nelsons, and I'm like, this doesn't. <laughs> Where are my right. boots, man? Yeah, oh, hit someone with a chair. Who's your favorite pro wrestler? Uh, that's a tough question. It kind of. Let's go old. Let's let's divide this a little bit into kind of like old you school, know old school nudes new school yeah nude school. <laughs> Whoa! Like who's your favorite old school wrestler? Like you know we saw like when we were kids there were some pretty awesome wrestlers. Yeah, I, I would say like I don't know like the Macho Man was a big one, but like obviously Hulk Hogan was like everybody's favorite, like especially as a kid growing up. But I love um, Jimmy the Superfly Snooker Man when I was a kid. I love that dude. I'm pretty sure he's. Going to jail yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he's seriously. Yeah, he's done some bad stuff. Yeah. Uh, what about Shawn Michaels? He was like as a kid, but he's not like to me. He's not really old school yet. Right. He was kind of like as like it was kind of getting popular. Who can name really? his tag team partner in the Rockers? Marty Jannetty. Wow, there Whoa. it is. Boom. Jeez. This is actually so. When I started work, like at Nashville PD, or whatever, we were downstairs and everyone's lifted. I'm just being quiet, like just minding my own business. And they're all talking, like, "Yeah, man, remember like WrestleMania 17, like the big show versus whoever." And I kind of like I didn't want to butt in and like expose myself at this point yet. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I was like, actually, WrestleMania 17 was The Rock versus Stone Cold. It was like, like, kind of a big boom. deal. If you're gonna talk about it, get yeah. It right. Yeah, and then everyone just like turned and was like, "Oh my god!" And I was like, "Fuck, I'm done." <laughs> was, that, was the big show really? The Rock was in WrestleMania 17. Yeah, Stone Cold versus The Rock was seventeen. Yeah. Doesn't that seem like it's crazy? It should that should be like right. WrestleMania fifty or right. something like but that. But I think was it like once a year in the beginning? Maybe like it's still once a year. Still once oh, a is year. it really? Yeah, yeah. the WrestleMania thirty two was this year. Are so. you new? Yeah. I am. <laughs> I haven't. I yeah, mean, WrestleMania. I don't watch a lot of TV. Year, right. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's I, like UFC. I, now I've been <laughs> exposed here. Um, I like the Ultimate Warrior though too. Ultimate Warrior was another another dead guy. Yeah, uh, Brutus oh, the Barber right. also dead. Mm, I don't know. I don't want to say he's dead. He's I heard something about a boat accident. I, that's he, all hearsay. I don't know yeah. if that's actually true, but could be. Uh, and then there, who was the uh, the Canadian guy? Chris Benoit. Yeah. Oh jeez. Yeah. He doesn't situation. even exist anymore. If you like watch WWE, he's like edited out of everything. <laughs> Do you think his situation was steroid based or concussion based? Like concussion based for mm. sure. There are like new studies and stuff coming out about concussions. This is another thing about like MMA that like kind of turned me off yeah, to it was man. all the concussion stuff. Because I had a few concussions and that was like my deciding factor to kind of stop doing it. Okay. Um, but they're saying like that it can cause like depression and all sure. those kind of post concussion syndrome stuff. And I'm like, I really think that led to like Chris Benoit stuff because he was like, his finishing move was smashing his head into using like a flying headbutt. <laughs> like, so basically, every time he wrestled, he suffered a massive concussion. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> not, no one oh, said to him that man. was not a good idea. Yeah. At some point, that has to stop. I mean, but. you have to listen to the podcast with Jared when he talks about his concussions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Like, it's real. Yep. And he had he had long lasting effects beyond those concussions. There. I think he had like six and. A month or something, right? You know and that I mean? was just from jujitsu, right? right? Like, right. you know, getting either thrown hard or landed on, or you know what I mean. It's not that; it's actually not that hard if you put yourself in harm's way enough. Whether it's MMA, jujitsu, wrestling, boxing, any of that stuff, it's if you do it long enough, you're likely to get one. But if you get once you get a concussion, I think you're more likely to fo- get follow up concussions. One of the things that was uh, hard for me to hear, so I was I was maybe a two time a weeker. For judo for 13 years so uh, was that cumulative tiny little micro concussions are equally as evil as this big huge one-time event 
and a bummer. I was always wondering. You can I can kind of like pick a couple of times in my life where you just feel like. Well, I'm also getting older, so it's a little tough to say whether it's just getting older or just that. But there were a couple of times where you're just going, you know what? I'm just not. So I'm a musician. It's really easy to to be objective about what I'm remembering and what I'm not. Yeah. And you can just feel it. Like it's just like this is not as clear as it is the math. I play jazz music is a whole set of math that goes with it. And the math, I'm doing it instinctually. It's beautiful. But like I have to, oh, shit, I don't know where I am. Like just picking up the math, which I used to do without even thinking, just took a little while. And then there's another like plateau later, you know. And so that's one. Of, that's another reason why I got a, a judo and went into jujitsu. It's just less that the micro. I was just really upset to hear that because I never really had, I had one good concussion in judo, but just smashing heads. I and base, that was I base really out bad. with my head all the time, and I think I probably should. But the do that the, less. The, the the actual science of just small long term thing. It's gonna be the same thing with guys who take you know shots to the head all the time, and uh, it's not about that that big giant crash. You know, this is so I'm getting this off of you know multiple podcasts, a lot of reading on the on the subject. Mm-hmm. I like uh, Rhonda Patrick and and her stuff. Um, so I'm not just pulling this out of my ass. You know what the funny thing is, is now in for youth sports, they shut down kids so easily. They basically, you know, if they have, and they won't, they'll still call it a concussion, even though the doctor didn't call it a concussion. They'll make them sit out for six weeks. And then if, if they have a head on collision or something like that, I mean, this girl is on her third incident that locally in, in the town that I live in, it's on the third incident for concussions playing girls lacrosse where you're not allowed to hit. Yep. I'm like, somehow, I don't think that that's actually happening, and now you're going to make this girl not be able to play any sports in the town until she's done. That's kind of ridiculous, yeah. but at the same time, there's a balance. That's it. It sounds like you're talking about two separate things. I think there's some science here, and then, of course, the backlash to it is going to be way too much in the opposite direction for a while, and after a while, people are going, I wouldn't have changed the fucking thing. I'm not. I, I, got, I love everything that I did, and I'll take what I have. I, I'm right. not complaining. And I, and same thing. It was my kids. You know, I might have a problem throwing up to the highest level of football when they're 12. That kind of thing. But you know, come on. I mean, if that's part of the deal. But I guess I'm just saying. I I the new science of it of like just going. Uh, fuck, I could have had the equivalent of like three or four big concussions over that time without ever even knowing it. You know, that I had no idea. I always thought it was just like, you either get killed or you don't, you know? Because like I kind of prided myself when I was fighting, especially like I was good at just putting my head down, walking through a couple shots and getting takedowns. And I always (laughs) thought like, that's great. Because like (laughs) I've never been knocked out in my life. Like I've never had those big shots, but I've gotten hit thousands of times yep. and uh, after that kind of the ultimate fighter stuff i got a couple fights right in a row and i knew i had concussions i couldn't even jog without getting dizzy and all that and it wasn't until just shortly after that i went and i was coaching college wrestling and i was coaching with guys i went to college with so it was only probably five or six years removed and we were going back to all these same hotels and these venues we were going that we had been all together wrestling at those guys remembered all these little details about, like remember when we stayed here remember when we stayed here and i'm like looking at them and i'm like I don't remember any of this. I don't even remember being here. And well, who are you? That yeah, scared tough, the crap tough, out of me. It's tough to say, is that a concussion or is it just whatever? It could be a, also yeah. because well, you went through a lot of stress in the in the Ultimate Fire thing, and that's yeah. a different reason why you can forget shit too or yeah. whatever. So, What was that like, uh, you, you know, getting on the show, you know, that how much different, you know, when you watch it on television, it's, you know, obviously there's a production value to what they're doing and they put it together a certain way. You know, like living in the house as an example, 
is it you know they make it they portray it like there's a, there's a, like a fight animal house dude. like yeah, there's yeah. there's a, there's a fight brewing every night and I kind of tend to think that that's not the well case, the good but. thing like my season in particular was kind of known for we didn't have a lot of that drama and I think when we went right in there the producers told us right away they're like look they sat us down in the living room we had like the day one talk and they were like look, this show isn't about drama. They're like, we want this to be about like a documentary style of fighters competing to get into the UFC. We don't want you guys fighting. We don't want that. We literally want to see what you guys do to train for fighting. And we're all like, wow, that's so refreshing. Like right? we, we thought you just wanted us to like fight each other the whole time in the house. Can you set this up a little bit? So year, who, who are the teams? So everybody who's following along will know without having to go to Google. There's uh, season 17. So it's Chael Sonnen versus John Jones, the teams. Um, it was kind of the one Uriah Hall was famous for that. He had a huge mm-hmm. knockout and uh, Kelvin Gastelum ended up being the winner of that show. Um, so it kind of has guys like Clint Hester was in the top 10 at one point, I believe. Um, a few other guys like Josh Saman, Luke Barnett, are the guys that are kind of still fighting and doing well now. Um, you stay in touch with any of them guys? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Luke ended up being one of my right? good friends. Like I uh, I went out to England a couple times with him. I was living over there with him for spent a couple months at a time and went out for his wedding and all that. So, How did uh, that go? Is Luke a good driver? <laughs> <laughs> Luke famously drove me off the road and how he failed to navigate a straightaway. <laughs> and and uh, Dave, almost those are me. tough sometimes, yeah. man. Yeah. Tricky. Yeah. Kind of comes up on you. Yeah, quick. we're on the opposite side of the road in his yeah, defense, but exactly. he grew up in England, so it's really right. not a good defense. Steering wheel's on the wrong side, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> you should have been steering, man. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, no, so it, that was refreshing. We got to the house and we kind of found out that, you know, they don't want us creating all that drama yeah. and everything like that. So, Surprising. Um, yeah, we actually, it was kind of when we called it almost like cracking, like don't break down because we're in the house and it just gets boring and you kind of start to be an idiot, like just goofing around. And it was kind of nice as soon as you got to a certain point, like someone would just be like, man, you're cracking, square away, like square yourself <laughs> away, like, like basically don't create drama for the show. And that How was How long like, were you there for? Uh, seven weeks or so. Holy crap! You know. And there's no TV, no computers, no nothing, right? No anything, not even a newspaper. I remember like jokingly we were talking to the producers, and the uh, presidential election was happening, and I was like, "Gary, you have to tell us who the president of the United States is. Like, we have to know this." Like, uh, but yeah, there was no contact with the outside world. It was like a gift if you could get the radio turned on when you were going to training, so you could actually listen to like music and stuff like that. So, wow, no music either. No, because it's all like the copyrights and stuff. So every time if you heard music in the background, it have oh. to be edited. It out, yeah. or they yeah, they'd have to get, get a copyright or something. House was pretty sweet, right? Though there's like a hot tub and swimming pool, yeah, hot tub, swimming pool. It was too cold for the <laughs> swimming pool, guys. like a bunch <laughs> of dudes. That was weird. Like, I, I can't picture a time in my life that I'd like every single night we call it just tub time. There'd be like five of us, it was kind of me and all the foreign guys, like Thor and Luke and uh Zach would go out there, but um. There was just a bunch of dudes in a hot tub every night. It was like normal. So is there, is there wrong to, with that? Is there more to the story where there where there are actually women involved that you just don't see on the uh, on the television show? No. Are you I, under NDA? You're not supposed to talk about this shit. Or? No, I could talk, about, could talk it about it all, it. especially now. What are they going to do to yeah. me? Right. right. <laughs> That's so it. You're out. Like, so do you guys right, have well. like girlfriends and stuff that you just don't see on the show? They try to make it into this. No, thing, I or? wish I could tell you that there was all this hidden behind the scenes. It was awesome like that with girls, but no, we had no contact with girls for seven weeks. Oh, Jesus. So you didn't even get to go to town or anything like that kind of stuff no like it, it would be funny because even like driving to training we'd be trying to like look out the windows and like if we saw a girl we'd be like holy crap look at her like because right. it was like the first girl we saw her in like six weeks <laughs> that's creepy yeah. yeah 
Well, least, I guess, that's the benefit of at least you were on the show with like Rhonda and Misha or something. Well, that was like the that. thing. Like uh, Rhonda well, came on our great. show and we got to train with her. But the show before, like the season before, I guess she had come. I didn't see that season, but she came and all the guys were super awkward because kind of like, oh my god, a girl and it's Ronda Rousey. So they just sat awkwardly around and stared at her. So when she what came, are they all going to do line up and hit on her like one yeah, by one. Yeah. You, know, you got to be her. careful because I heard their periods attract bears. <laughs> Net great, you're putting the whole podcast in jeopardy. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. I, I, Jay. From Anchorman. Right? Yeah. right? I got it. Old, it's not even my original ship here. I got it. But yeah, so when, when Rhonda came out anyway, she was, uh, she was really cool. And like at that point, we all just kind of were happy to be able to train with Rhonda. I mean, that was the best female athlete on the planet. So it was like kind of like anyone that's the best at anything to me is cool you can be the best at like playing tiddlywinks and i think that's cool if you're the best in the world at something yeah, that's yeah. like pretty awesome well and, uh, we still haven't played ping pong but you'll find out yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, trail Sonnen was your coach you were on trails team yeah like, you no, want you wanted that too right for those of us yeah. for those of us who are who never looked at the pictures of these things we one of the hosts here george Do you is think I literally the mini chail son. He looks exactly <laughs> like, like mini chail. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Look at the guy. I can see it a little bit. Yeah. Wait a minute. Chail Sonnen exactly. did not get the first hit in, well, that's, in that's the true. inaugural I mean, Little League World well, Series. You make a good inaugural, point. But it was the first team from New Hampshire. Yeah. Which, yeah um, if you listen to the podcast, go, go take, a look, take a look at Mickey George and tell me Batman. that he doesn't look exactly like Little There is Chelsea a picture with me and Vin Diesel. Not the real Vin Diesel, but our Vin Diesel. And we call this George Tom. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it looks like, it does look like Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva having a stare down. <laughs> you know who Vin Diesel is, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's really like, it's kind of weird. So, you know what, what Jimmy gets a lot? And he actually, I, I think you've played this up a little bit. You get the Shogun thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We actually, uh, when the Fan Expo for the UFC was in um, Boston a couple of years ago, <laughs> I bought a... Uh, what is this show? Bad boy. Bad boy. Like, but it was like the traditional like green eyes like they used to wear and everything. Right. I put on that shirt and I had all my buddies walk like around me in like a big circle. So people were literally like coming up and being like Shogun, and I didn't know any like Portuguese or anything. So like when they would push me, I'd just be like Ugh, and like mumble. <laughs> <laughs> but <it> sounds <laughs> just like Portuguese <laughs> because people legitimately thought I was <laughs> him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, we saw something online afterwards that uh, <laughs> someone had actually complained, like, "What the hell? I met uh, Shogun, and Shogun He's wasn't there. He wasn't there at all. So I knew it was me." But he they put a thing like, yeah, he, "He was an asshole. He wouldn't even talk to us." And I was like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I "Apologize." No, no, man, that was Jimmy Quinlan that wouldn't talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> So did you get to train with Rondo at all? Like, did yeah. you get to roll with her? Yeah, we trained. Uh, we kind of spent the day. We each got a few minutes with her. So she probably like a five-minute go or something got to train. Nice. And, uh, that's what everyone asked me afterwards. Is like, could you actually beat Rhonda? And I was kind of like, well, yeah, she's 135-pound right. female. Like, no disrespect, <laughs> like, but, like, I should be able to beat her. I'm a, like, 200-pound, like, world champion jiu-jitsu guy. Like, I should be <laughs> able to beat, like, a smaller woman. But right. um, it was awesome training with her because you could feel, like, the way she moved, like, she's so much smaller that if you actually allowed her to move and stuff with you, it was like, you could feel that like world-class judo and the way she, it was pretty awesome. Like I, like I got the most out of everything cause I kind of rolled with her and let her move and felt like how she was going with different positions and everything. And, um, it was pretty awesome to be able to train with her. Nice. I've seen, I've seen videos of her training with, with different guys that are much bigger, like the Musashi videos and others. Some guys. M- Musashi. Yeah. Who? What did, if we going back to the Musashi Book of Rings, no, thing? I'm not going to the Book of Rings. <laughs> My point is that that the different guys tend to train with her different. Some people try to get something out of it, and other guys just kind mm. of 
beat her up a well, little bit. Well, the thing about her, too, is she literally thinks she can beat anyone in the world in her mind. And I think you have to do that to be a good competitor. Yeah. But she even Gengar training with... Musashi, by the way. Is Who? Musashi. Yeah. Oh, Gengar Musashi. Yeah. <laughs> but she, like, even training with me, she was getting pissed. Like, she wanted to win. And it was kind of like... I was almost like, holy crap. Like, she's really, like, trying to beat me right now. Like, and that's just how her mind works. She legitimately thought she could. And she just tried to the whole time. Um, I think yep. that's... I've seen her... I forget who... It was a heavyweight in... It might have been Gagabert. I think it was someone different, but they were training in a cage, the video of it. That was him, yeah. Yeah, he was huge. And he was just beating her at every turn because he's 100 pounds heavier than her. Right, yeah. Yeah. Right. And she was pissed and was getting back up and trying to win. Like, every time she would pop back to her feet and and come at him like 100 miles an hour, like she, there was no back down in yeah. her at all, which was cool. Yeah. Because I remember at one point when I was rolling with her, the, I like pulled guard kind of because like she was coming at me so aggressively that I just kind of dropped to my guard and Vinny Magalhaes was there. He's like, are you kidding me, Jimmy? You just pulled guard on a girl? <laughs> like he was just like <laughs> shitting on me the whole time from the outside. But it was kind of just, it was nice because she was pushing it. She was trying to win 100%. And it was like, it was fun to see that, to see like how good she was really. What do you think her comeback's going to look like? It depends who she fights. Um, if she, who, did they name a fight for her yet? Uh, no, I don't, think I don't so. know. We, uh, they gave they gave someone to Holly Holm already. It's Holly Holm uh, and Misha. Or is no, it, Misha's fighting somebody else. And as Holly of this Holm podcast, there's no official uh, word on any of that stuff. Okay. As far as I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. For e- even for no, Misha's got to fight. They got to right. fight against. No, no, I mean, oh, I assume they have a Holly Holm no fight on right UFC 200, right? Well, I think like Ronda still beats Misha again, but even like Holly with like that, it's kind of like hard because. What G, uh, Ronda did in judo, Holly did in boxing. Right. She just wasn't as like sensationalized for what she did in her side. But right. you're talking about Misha, who's pretty good, but came up grappling and wrestling and doing all of that, versus Ronda, who lived judo, and Holly, who lived boxing. So you're putting two like elite athletes on the same playing field, and people are forgetting that most of those other people, the other girls that she was beating, were like pretty tough girls that had just started training a few years ago. Right. You know, they didn't right. grow up doing this. Right. And uh, so I think that's the difference: is that Holly was the elite level, like one of the best boxers on the planet. And so it's kind of you're putting two equal athletes against each other for the first time. <coughs> There's the UFC 200 fight card. Did you get to train with Chael a lot? I mean, you trained. He was, you were on his team, Yeah, that right? was the awesome thing with Chael is he trained with us every single day. <laughs> nice. He, he came in. I shouldn't say every day because he had his own obligations and stuff. Yep. But he, uh, from day one, he basically came in and said, you know, I want to put myself through as your coach. I want to put myself through what you're going through. I want to feel the way you feel. Like, So he every step of the way, he put on the gear. He boxed with us. He wrestled with us. And that was awesome because we got to basically see at the time, he was like one of the top guys in the world. Like He was getting title fights every other week. And right. uh, we got to train with that guy every day. He seems like an awesome dude, man. Like aside from the show stuff or whatever. Yeah. Like, But like I've heard interviews with him like... Man, he says some awesome things. Like, yeah, that was the thing. I didn't know. I didn't follow. Like, I'm not a huge fan of the UFC. Like, I don't follow it a lot. And uh, coming into the show, everyone was talking about how Chael was this, like, asshole. And he had all these crazy, like, gimmicks and everything. Right. But I was like, I knew Chael from, like, wrestling a little bit. I knew he was, like, a good wrestler and that type of thing. So, like, when I came on the show, I didn't know about all the, like, you know, uh, the Brazilians petting the school buses and, like, that type of thing. Like, <laughs> like I didn't know about that stuff. So I met Chael as, like, the nicest guy in the world. He basically told us he's a huge fan of pro wrestling, and he kind of was like, I know how to run a promo and, you know, right. sell fights and kind of hype things up. Did you and see the thing they just did? They did the, that weird hybrid show where it's part pro wrestling, part, like, real submission, yeah, part... It's almost part like a cartoon. It was weird. They just like, and he, uh, who did he fight? He just, you know what I'm talking about? 
You just fought. Oh, you fought a Bisping. It, like, just they had this in the middle of the pro wrestling card. They just stopped, and those two guys came out and just did a sub match for real yeah. in the middle of the thing. And they basically did what a sub match would look like with those guys, which is just sat on a heel look for a while and, or, yeah. you know, on an ankle lock for a while. And then it was boring. It was weird. You, you got along with him pretty good because of, of his wrestling background, right? Yeah. So right you guys spent, started spending time together afterwards, training together, doing different stuff. Right? Yeah. I went out and trained with him in Oregon for a couple of weeks after the show ended and stuff. And uh, we stayed in touch for a while because even like when I went out to England with Luke, uh, Jail had come out there and stuff. And um, so we kind of we kept in touch for a while. I haven't talked to him in a while now just because I'm not fighting or anything like that. Um, right. But like he was, I loved it because after the show, you know, he, every once in a while, he just texts you, say, How's everything going? And kind of he kept that relationship going, which meant a lot to me because. Very easy. Like I know, like Chuck O'Neill was on the show with Brock Lesnar. Never talked to him again after that show <laughs> ended. And I'm like, that kind of sucks because it'd be cool to like be able to be buddies with Brock Lesnar. But he just he was there for the show, and that was it. And it was nice to know. Like I was expecting that kind of out of our coaches. Mm-hmm. And uh, after the show, Chad would reach out and just say, "How are you doing?" and all that. And same thing with John Jones. I wasn't as friendly with him on the show, but I remember several months later, we were sitting, we we're out for Joe Lozon, one of his fights in Sacramento, I think it was, and we were sitting at the bar. And then all of a sudden, John Jones walks into the bar, and uh, everyone was kind of like, "Oh my God, John Jones is here!" And I was kind of like, "Oh yeah, he's all right." Like I, I know him a little bit, like from the show, whatever. And he whatever, like, yeah. But the, like that, I expected to not interact with him in any way. And he actually saw me from across the way, and he was like, "Hey, Jimmy!" He came over, pulled up a chair, and started talking. How's everything? How's work nice. going? And like super friendly. So then it was awesome for me because all my friends were like, "Oh my God, you're actually <laughs> friends with John Jones!" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. You know, yeah, he, just want, he just yeah. wants a cop contact. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and this is before he needed the cop contact. But you know, I, I think it's it, you raise an interesting point because I think that there's <laughs> there's certain guys you know on, on that level when you interact with them, they're actually interested in the personal contact, like making contact and developing relationships through whatever sport. Like obviously, I I never fought, so for me, it's jujitsu. When you you know. When you when you go to tournaments and you meet and you talk to people that genu- genuinely are interested in in like creating some sort of a relationship because jujitsu is a small world, and then there's other guys that are all business. You yeah. know what I mean? Kind of like the way you describe Brock Lesnar. It's like I'm here for the show. Yeah. When I'm not on the camera, like I'm not particularly interested in, in like shooting the shit. I want to get my job done. and I want to go home to my kids, which is fine. Yeah. But it really, there seems to be two different schools of thought with that. Yeah. I definitely have to like hold myself back from like defending John a lot lately. Cause like I, I'm on the internet too. And I want to be like, oh, so I'm like, no, I know him personally. He's good. Cause he came up to me like that at the bar that time. And he was like, Oh, how's police? Are you knew I was a, a police officer? And he's kind of asking me all about police work. And like, he respects police. He like, he comes from like, <laughs> he does though, but like, he's I'm a, not you don't, that. you don't have to say he's that, an immature you know? kind of guy. <laughs> He makes mistakes. He's young, like, I mean, how old is he? He's like twenty. He's like twenty six or something man, like right? that. Yeah, but I feel like it's like I hold myself back because I just don't want to get involved. But like I want right. to be like on the internet being like, he's a uh, nice guy. I swear he just made right. a couple mistakes. Right. Whatever, but give him a break. Yeah, a couple give him a break. Five or six. <laughs> six. Yeah, I feel like that with a lot of people. I'm like, oh, just give the guy a break. You know, yeah. what I mean? people like ride him Jeez. pretty hard. And everything. Hard man. The latest one was like that the motor vehicle stop where he got kind of pulled over and the cop wrote him like ten tickets or whatever right. for racing or whatever. Like. Nobody writes anyone ten tickets. That cop was being a dick, right. like, and it's because yeah, it was definitely. John Jones. Like, so I kind of like I wanted to get on that and be like, look, like everyone was saying, oh, John Jones is such an asshole. He was racing his car, but I'm like, did he get arrested in that? In no, that no stop? I don't think so, so. If he was racing, so uh, uh, I don't know if this is actually true, but my understanding is, you get arrested and you, <laughs> if you're doing twice the speed limit, right? No. Well, here's um, the. I thought it was an Albuquerque a, too, right? There's a little I mean, background here. Jay loves to talk about a traffic citations, so that's a I don't, big deal. 
He really know wants to know this for so, no particular reason. The, it's no, like I mean, right? there's, a, there's, 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 there, there is an application to this because if he didn't oh. get arrested and he was quote unquote racing, like I would think if you actually thought that two people were street racing, yeah. like you're not citing them and then letting them drive off. Yeah, you would probably. Uh, and whatever. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're, that's Dude, exactly, exactly like what I would do. So especially anyway, like in New Hampshire, place, just to keep it brief on the, the citation part of things. RSA-26. Uh, 20, 26 and higher over the speed limit becomes a must-appear in court. And what that also kind of allows you to do, you could, if you're doing one mile over the speed limit, you're creating a violation. I could arrest you based on that, but nobody ever does. Um, at 26 miles over, you must appear to court. There's no fine schedule. I can't write 26 over for like $200. You just say you go to court and the judge gives you a fine amount. Right. Um, so that's kind of what you probably hear is that like twice the legal limit or whatever. It basically becomes, and I'm like doing air quotes, twice the legal <laughs> limit. <laughs> nice. um, that's kind of like a general thing for if you're doing 26 over, they'd basically make you go to court and they could arrest you at that point. But gotcha. then again, you can arrest someone for any violation you want. You just look ridiculous. If you arrest someone for a stop sign, then the <laughs> judge is going to say, why the hell did you arrest this guy for that? Uh, so it's all discretion. Because anyway. his, his name is Jay. But it's, it's different when you're hey, hey, drugs. Hey, you know, hey. you know. Yeah, yeah. If that you have the reputation, it's going to like change. Yeah. yeah. I don't have a reputation. No, I don't we're even talking about John no, Jones. Got a John Jones. Not you. <laughs> I do we're talking not. about John Jones. Not I do you. Not. Yeah, if you know someone has a history, I mean, that's the thing you, you do a lot. Like, if I pull someone over for something fairly basic that most people get a warning, but then you see, like, they have, like, 15 tickets for speed, you're kind of like, oh, this guy's clearly not getting the hint. I'm going to ticket him again. Rather no than respect for the law. Whereas, right. like, if I pull over someone Tons that's never been stopped or given a, a warning about. before, you're going to give him a warning. That's just kind of how it goes. So, right. um, you do use a lot of discretion when it comes to whether or not to write a ticket. But you'll notice most people. Don't write tickets. It's because you maybe deal with like a couple cops that you're like, man, I get a ticket every time I get stopped. But there's like thousands of stops happening every day. And there's like, you should try driving through Chester, New yeah, Hampshire on any given day. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the smaller towns you tend to probably, your, your ticket to stop ratio is a lot higher. I know there's like nothing else to do. It's when I never get pulled over except for the uh, light out thing. But I never get pulled over speeding ever. I think ever. I don't yeah. speed. I pretty much fall on speed. The, the smaller the town, the generally the more, <laughs> the more likely you would to get stopped. <laughs> Oh boy! I noticed like working in a bigger city, we have better things to do than stop right. every taillight. When I worked in a small town, because I've worked now in a tiny town in New Hampshire, and then I work now in the second biggest city in New Hampshire. So right. when I worked small town, all we did was stop cars. There was nothing else going on. Now in the big city, we have things to do. It's not like a big city, but it's big for New Hampshire, whatever. You get um, more exciting shit happening. Yeah, so like I, I can't be bothered most of the time. If someone drives by with a taillight out, it's kind of like no big deal because we're going to something else you know crack dealer yeah i don't want to suggest <laughs> what happens in the city but like things that are more important than like a taillight being out are happening so yeah i i've talked to i'll just call him jt about uh nashua and he's like some of the things that happen justin timberlake knows about nashua <laughs> Yes, he does. We don't need names. Yes, oh, he does. Oh, oops, sorry. So, <laughs> Name drop. Yep. Stop. And he talks about some of the stuff that happens in, in Nashua tonight. It's, and it's sexy back, and it's dude. it's hysterical. Yeah. He is, this guy is also bringing sexy back. Sweet. So, uh, quick topic change. Like, something I, you know, you and I have talked about quite a bit. It's kind of like the the way that, your wrestling transitioned into jujitsu because I, there's a lot of people that have tried to do it and I don't think they've done it quite as successfully. Um, there's other like you know AJ is pretty successful about like he doesn't even wrestle in his matches anymore, but he was a pretty successful wrestler. And other guys like talk about kind of your introduction into jujitsu and kind of how wrestling helped you along because 
I think there's a lot of people that are trying to make that transition to take wrestling into jujitsu and kind of make sense of it all. Yeah, I think so. When I started, I we me and Aaron Petroselli, who's kind of the person that got me into jujitsu. Uh, we in high school, we started like the UFC was getting big. This was like 2003 or so, and so we'd like be wrestling at practice, and our coach hated us because we'd be doing like triangles, but we didn't know how to do a triangle. We just like if your legs went around the person's head, they were triangles, and like <laughs> why aren't you tapping like they do on TV? Like we didn't understand. Like YouTube wasn't a thing back then. Like um, so we'd constantly be just like doing jujitsu, and um, I kind of like to think like we kind of started the thing. If you go to a wrestling tournament now you're likely to see kids warming up just like rolling jujitsu on the mats at a wrestling tournament. And that's just because it's smooth. It's a nice way to kind of warm up and move because in wrestling, you have to like jog for a long time and get warm before you started like going hard. Um, so we started doing that back in high school. And then I went to college and uh, that was after my sophomore year. And at this point, I had been wrestling for about 12 years or so. And uh, Aaron was just, I had not talked to him in like probably a year or two and i was like hey what's going on he's like i trying this like jujitsu thing and this was a master bj when it was like at the top of that exchange hall right the schoolhouse right yeah yeah so uh i just i was kind of like oh cool i'll check it out whatever like it sounds cool and it's kind of we've been messing with this stuff for years just not really know what we're doing and went up there and at first i was just and this is kind of tying into why wrestlers aren't typically good at jujitsu but i went in there and i smashed everyone and these are like white belts blue belts and like i i hadn't rolled with nate who had just got his black belt and pat like those guys just weren't rolling with like this kid that showed up so i'm in class and just some white belt and there was nothing just smash it but i'm just kind of like this stuff kind of sucks but then luckily for me and this i think the one of the most important moments i don't even know his name i could probably ask nate to like help me remember who he was because he doesn't train anymore but he was a purple belt and i was in his guard i just smashed him and I reach in with both arms and he double arm barred me. So both of my arms are locked out in this guy's guard. And like now that wouldn't really happen once you understand how to move a little bit. But like right. I'm just yelling because I can't tap. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, and th- that moment made me think like, holy crap, there's something to this that like I want to know what he did. And uh, that kind of allowed me to slow it down and learn jujitsu um and that's a really hard thing i know there's a lot of wrestlers now that i know like really really good guys like all americans that i train with that they don't understand like how to slow down and learn because wrestling when you teach a person how to wrestle and i think there's something to be said for this even if you were to apply this to jiu-jitsu but you basically tell them start doing double legs and like okay well how do i do that you put your hands around their legs and you just take them to the ground yeah make it happen yeah like figure it out what's like the find technique for that and like it doesn't matter just do it and keep doing it your body will find an efficient way to do this movement and that's kind of like what we talked about me and jay when we were talking yeah. about drilling and that at jiu-jitsu i think a big mistake with the way people like learn in jiu-jitsu is everything is static you do this technique has to be perfect you have to flawlessly move from this way to that way yeah. and be as efficient as possible but that never occurs when you're actually training or competing um, so in wrestling someone you take them down they come back up you take them down again and you just kind of find the way to efficiently make that takedown happen and i think the same way in jiu-jitsu if you're the only way you ever train something is with a static person who's just letting you do it to them Um, i'm not talking about fighting back i'm just talking about like you guys both have to be in some kind of dynamic movement as you're doing the techniques and just drill them and you notice that a lot like I know like out at the Nogi Worlds this year, I noticed uh, the Meow Brothers and I was watching them drill and warm up and they were just going fast and hard and they're just drilling back and forth and they're kind of doing that, um, like a knee, not a knee cut pass, but um, I'm drawing a blank, but like kind of like, drag? like a leg drag type thing. Yeah, but they were just yeah. whipping through it. There wasn't like, it wasn't, beautiful it wasn't pure technique but it was just boom 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 side to side to side and they were kind of like nailing that over and over again i'm like that's how drilling like that's how you should drill i feel like and uh, i think that is lost a lot so getting back to um wrestlers is i think 
because wrestling happens like that, wrestling is so fast and everything you learn, you just learn by doing it a million times and eventually you figure out how to do it. Then you go into a jiu-jitsu room and I know a lot of wrestlers have had this problem is that you go in and it's, okay, we're going to do this technique. You do the technique and then you drill it like two times. You're like, everyone done it? Everyone got it? Good. Okay, <laughs> next technique we're going to do is this. Oh, I, I got to be honest. Yeah, I don't want to sell anybody, but I hate that so much. Yeah. and it, I mean, I, I can't do anything unless I've done it a thousand times. And it's so funny because we have so many techniques in jujitsu. It's like I don't. I still don't feel that confident with more than maybe like three techniques. Yeah, and this yeah. thing is like so. Say we're maybe you we should find some place new to train. No, no, no. <laughs> that's not it. It's the it's the, it's the sheer it. no. It's the sheer <laughs> it's the sheer amount of material that you need to understand in order to defend it. Exactly. So I'm not. I'm, what is this drilling you guys are talking <laughs> about? Like it's like defense. <laughs> Fuck plays defense. <laughs> the pace of like, like the way I think of it is like if you're if you do a leg drag right. So just think of a basic leg drag yeah. from like passing guard. Yeah. If you do that at the pace in jiu-jitsu, you've now done that maybe like five or six times back and forth. Do it a couple times. The other guy goes a couple times. So you've gotten six reps of that. Or if you do it at a wrestling style drilling pace, mm -hmm. you probably get twenty to thirty reps in in the same you mean amount just, of time. Because you're just doing it quicker. Yeah. yeah. Boom, boom, you're banging boom, into boom, them, yeah. And, and now yeah. your body's learning that movement it's going to become it's going to become clean and crisp as you continue to do it well there's so many ways to solve a problem i mean in all kinds of teaching some people are going to learn it because they get it all perfectly and then they just do it perfectly over and over again some people are going to learn things athletically right and some things people are going to learn things instinctually some people are going to watch some people are going to need to go home and think about it you know so i think that's that's going to be a problem i think with there's a lot anything. of uh is there a lot of stuff like the jujitsu Coaches and instructors could be taken from wrestling coaches and putting it in, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that, I, like what you're talking about. I think there's a ton, and this is kind of something when I started training with Nate and the guys at Master AJ, is we went there and there's these little things that they just did like wrong for grappling. And like the, the best example that I, when I'm trying to tell this story is the way, uh, like a sit-through works. If you're kind of like in a turtle position, a guy's out in front of you. In jiu-jitsu, everyone slides through to their butt to kind of turn the corner. I don't yeah. know if it's a big picture good, but in wrestling, you knee slide. So your knee's coming up, you're keeping a good posture and turning the corner. So um, guys in jiu-jitsu started doing this where like they kind of shoot on you, they're in a turtle position, then they slide to their butt and you just step over to mount every single time. And I was kind of like, I didn't want to like overstep my boundaries because I was like new to jiu-jitsu, but I'm kind of like, what I, you guys are doing I just need you guys sucks. to know that this is terrible technique. And it's just, I think over the years it got passed down that way and no one came in and corrected it. So that was like the first thing that I was kind of like, just so you know, there's a much better way to do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's like a good example of technique. But then I also think like, not because I think wrestling is better because I'm like a huge fan of jiu-jitsu as well. I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm sure like I always like my quote I used to have like online and everything was my I'm a fan of wrestling, jujitsu and breathing in that order. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so like I'm still, I'd say definitely more of wrestling guy, but. I don't think so much because wrestling's better, but I think wrestling has been around for hundreds of years or thousands of years or whatever. Um, I don't know if it's thousands. My math is off. But it's, it's, time, it's been around man. a long time. Anyway, I think yeah. it'd be way more than that. Yeah, yeah. Like, but essentially they've they figured out in the the modern era like of the NCAA and they figured out how to do things they figured out how to compete how to train how to run tournaments how to do all these things so in the jiu-jitsu world this is kind of a new thing and it's like the well, best the arts only 75 years old or now it's probably more it's about 100 years old yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, you Jay's been saying this over and over again. He call it, you, you always say, you know, we're in on the ground floor of this. Yeah. I think there's there's maybe something else to throw into the to the thought process too, which is because of the way wrestling's set up, um, because of the goal, which is to hold a dude down on his back, you can kinda go hundred and fifty percent all the time. Even yeah. kids can, adults can, great guys can. You can train really hard, right? Yeah. But 
the way jujitsu works, since a lot of the end game, it's a rear naked you can put on really hard, but if you, you can't just slam full into a you yeah. know, full out arm lock every time, you have to, it has to be sort of a controlled behavior. Yeah. So you can't you can't just fly into the shit over and over again right. until you get it right. Where that I think that does I, count. Yeah. I think That's, that counts. There a is lot. a balance though, because when I you know, we we've been going over this a lot, you know, recently when we're training is that when you know, I'm starting to change the way that I teach things. I'm like, you know, we learn the arm bar. It's like, you know, you grab the, the sleeve and the collar and you put your foot on the hip and you turn, you hook up on the back and all this stuff. It never fucking happens that way ever. Yeah. That's never the way it turns out. And so it's like, so I know that we're teaching it that way so that people can get a grasp for how the technique works right. and where your hips need to be. But there's something to be said for you know, kind of grabbing the arm and kind of finding out through repetition over repetition over repetition what it takes to capture the elbow. Right. And I think there's, there's, I mean, we were talking about this for probably over an hour anyway about how we could adjust the way that we train, kind of leading into that other discussion we were having, which we won't talk about on air, about how you introduce those concepts into right. jiu-jitsu and make everybody better, not just to teach them how to take down because... That's only part of it, but it's also how to how to meet aggression with aggression because that's another piece that jujitsu guys, especially when you're learning technique, these guys are being willing rape victims all the time, and that's not the way. Because I mean, that was a problem I had was coming right in. I know George talked about it a little bit too. I mean, coming in from the judo thing, like you, I get get, someone gets side control, I would just blow the shit out of it, just like fucking explode. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, stop. When when Ron started. I used to think that there was a huge problem at least three times every training session because I would hear, yeah, 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 right, right. It was him trying to explain out of position. By the way, pretty much never happened. Right. By the way, right. You ever heard Jay get ready to go compete? Right. Like these guys love talking about this stuff. And sure, when you're actually rolling, you guys are real quiet. But you're going out there with the mind of a killer. No, in the judo thing, you hear like you put the put put something. Let's not take the focus off you and your sounds. The only the, reason the way, I do that. The bottom line was though, but it, but in the beginning, exploding out of shit worked. To a, it wouldn't work you, you but it worked for most dude. people. But the thing is that that's one thing. But you can't explode into a wrist lock. You can't explode into an arm lock. You can't. Not into a wrist lock. That's, you know what can't I'm saying. Do that. No, so you're gonna a long time ago, I was took her private with Roberto, and uh, you know, it was I, like I had no open guard at that time, and he blew my mind with open guard. And uh, I'm trying to get every little grip right. And I'm like, oh, what, what about... The? He's like, don't worry about the grips, man. He's like, it ain't always going to be perfect. Like, sometimes you right. just got to grab but something I, and do it. Can, I'm just hoping we can stay on fighting aggression with aggression for a minute. Because that's the thing. Like, it's one thing to say, just be fucking aggressive. And that's certainly something I can wear. I will do that. But mm-hmm. you're not going to see what we just practiced. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I hate that because I'll do, like, I'm doing the technique. And the guy I'm willing to just decides, well, now's aggressive time, and I'm the real willing rape victim again. You know, you're like, well, damn, like, what are we trying to do? So I'm not complaining. It's just it, sometimes I, that's why you end up working with certain people, right? Yeah, I kind of agree with what you're saying there. So because from wrestling, it's basically aggression all out all the time. All the and time. then I kind of lost sight of that when I started doing jujitsu more, like especially after I was done wrestling in college, we kind of went into this jujitsu thing of everything had to be this pure technique and, you know, it slowed everything down. And it didn't actually come probably till the time I was training back with Joe Lozon. Um, he's a guy that Joe fights for the UFC and um, he's been in there for years and he has like some 
I think he has like the most submissions yeah, or whatever. He's on like, UFC 200 coming up. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the point is that he has been really successful with his jiu-jitsu and MMA. And I remember going back and he was doing an arm bar, but he wasn't doing it like properly. And again, in air quotes, like mm-hmm. properly, like he was just kind of like jumping into it. And I kind of, I said to him, and this is like years ago, this is just after college, probably like 2008, 2009 or so. And uh, I just kind of like, oh, you didn't do that arm bar right. And he was kind of <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, I just ripped that guy's arm off, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 uh, it, like, it occurred to me, I was you, like... You could have done it a little yeah, nicer. Yeah, but better, then better. his point was basically, like, right. Like, yeah, whatever works at the end is right. You know, yeah, if, right. if I ripped your arm off, that was the correct yeah, way to do an arm bar right, because right, it just right, happened. Right. Yeah, so it kind of, like, reintroduced me to that idea of, like, you don't have to have this flawless technique, but if your end goal... And it kind of makes me think of how you were exploding out of the side control because, like, Joe, for instance, does stuff like that a lot. You get side control on him, he is so good at just exploding out. There's not a ton of technique happening there, but he's just... He knows how to move, so it's, like, this kind of combination of both, but it's it boils down to he's just getting out of the bottom position. And it works. Like, and well, it works. To, to be yeah. fair, I mean, obviously, I had to learn how to do it correctly because it doesn't always work. Right. But my problem, though, is that, like you were saying, there's you got to find the training partners differently. Like mm-hmm. some guys that I roll with, I know this is going to be an aggression session, so I'm not going to be trying to do the, cl- the class move. Right. And I think we're like finding out more as the sport evolves or the art evolves uh, about what can work and what can't work. Like. Technically speaking, remember, we were always taught, like back in the day, you don't turn away when you're trying to escape side control. You don't, like, oh, you give up your back every time and, like, a good jiu jitsu go guy will choke you, you mean no every single time. And, like, <clears throat> I'm going to say 75% of the side mount escapes that I see in high level competition are turning away. Yeah, yeah. I would say we, just, up. we taught that this week. It was just like turning away, turtling up, and standing up. And right. I, actually, I remember that too. When I started asking Nate about it, he kind of wasn't sure that it was him I heard from. But it used to be a thing, I thought, that you don't stand up from the bottom position because you worry about leg locks and all kinds of different things. You're not standing up. But like for me, if I'm in the turtle position, I'm getting hand control. I'm standing up yeah, like in man. wrestling, and yeah. people just can't hold you down. That's just how you get out. Right. And, uh, it's like what Pat does when he gets a, like gets one sleeve. Like, yeah. And, and he just, just pushes up. And you're like kind of like... I know I should be able to grab onto him right now, but like I'm just kind of floating because he's controlling my sleeves and I can't consolidate. Like, yeah. and it works. That's the, what kind of was the take-home message to me because in wrestling, my downfall was I could never get out on bottom. I couldn't stand up because that's the objective in wrestling is just standing up essentially mm-hmm. on bottom. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, I had my college roommate Tony D'Amico. He basically he was so good at standing up because he'd get hand control, put one of your hands like locked out on your hip, and then it was essentially he was like. When I'm on bottom, I just think, like, you have one arm. How are you going to hold me down with one arm? Right, so that's how right, I teach right. that now. I'm that's like, cool, yeah. is there a single, like, man in the world you think can hold you down with one arm? Because that's embarrassing if they can. <laughs> so you basically just take one arm, take it out of the equation, get hand control, and then you think to yourself, this guy has one arm. Can any guy hold me down I want to test that theory with George and the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some guys that can hold you down, down with dude. one arm. You can't do it. <laughs> but After yeah, that mountain... It's kind of those weird things that you kind of you fall for these ideas of like, well, this is traditional. This is how it's supposed to work. And then you kind of realize over time, it's like there's a lot of different things that can work. So what was it for you? Like, because I remember, you know, I, now it's, you know, looking back on it, it seemed like there was those days that we remember Friday nights, we train in the background. I'd never. You all right with the levels? Yeah, we're all good. We would train. uh in, in the back room at Mass BJJ on Friday nights, I'd yeah, always show up closet. after that yeah. little closet back there. And this may know, not be appropriate. I, I remember training with with Nate and Pat at Boston back in the day. And when they opened Mass BJJ, I was 
you know, it was always a place that, you know, aside, I, you know, obviously I love training at, at, at Boston, training with Roberto and all the guys I got my black belt with and all the guys that I train with, you know, that's kind of who I am. But also I'm, I'm, I'm also defined by all those nights of training with, with Nate and Pat because they have a very unique approach to the way that, like, you know, they teach jujitsu and their brand of jujitsu. So, what do you know? What do how do you feel about kind of coming up under Nate and Pat and kind of the learning with them and kind of you know that that beginning? Yeah, I feel like super lucky with how I came up. Like, because anyone that you talk to that has done jujitsu, their instructor is the best person ever. Like, because when you're a white belt, and as you get older in the jujitsu kind of world, you kind of start to realize, like, oh well, my instructor would get smashed by that guy or this guy, or that guy. You know, right. um, but when you first start, you don't have any concept of how what those levels are above your head, like the purple, brown, black belts. So um, you see a lot of guys and they go to this place and then you kind of almost get brainwashed by my instructors doing everything right. Um, and I feel now really lucky because I look back on it and say, I basically just walked into Nate and Pat school and they were the best to me. They were, they were just the black belts around. And now looking back, I'm like, I am so lucky to have found the two of them um, because of the way they teach and everything. Um, mm-hmm. and I think when I started, I was taking mostly Pat's classes and he a lot of his style has kind of been put into me basically a lot of his passing and stuff that was all what I started with and then as I moved more towards Nate I got a lot more of that technique and I learned a lot even about teaching and stuff and you kind of learning how to teach teaches yourself in a way like not to get too philosophical but like sure because on like yeah Nate like taught me how to teach I feel like a lot and so then when I started teaching I started learning the intricacies of the moves a lot better because you're really thinking about them because you're seeing it from the student's perspective which sometimes isn't yours which means you have to present that same material in a different fashion so that it works for them now you get a better view of what you were doing in the first place yeah yeah so I felt the point of like kind of the not knowing what you're getting into is when you start, you could go anywhere and you'd be happy because you right. could be learning from a purple belt and you wouldn't know better. And there's, I mean, there's great purple belts to learn from, but I'm just saying like, you don't know. And I was just lucky that my first exposure was to those guys. And I mean, you talk to anyone now, the two of the most respected guys in the jujitsu scene around just, here. I'm, I'm not sure that I've run into a guy. Um, and you know, if you look at my, you know, my breakdown, I, I've probably trained with Nate, more than I've trained with Pat, although I've trained with both of them a lot. If I take Nate, I'd say Nate's probably, if not the most technical teacher I've ever seen. Like, he can break, you know, techniques and positions and concepts down to kind of the minute level, um, more so than probably anybody I've ever trained with. And on the other hand, Pat is kind of, probably Pat, you know, probably endorses more of that wrestling style of drilling. It's like, okay, like, you know, maybe there's no technique in the in the class today. It's like grab a guy in your half guard, get the underhook, and go from there for 30 seconds. If he gets out, go right back, like instantaneously, go back. Yeah. And I learned a lot of that kind of we call it the struggle snuggle from Pat because Pat has such a smothering style. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's and it's hard to do anything to him because when you train with him, he's fucking resisting. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he lets a you nice know. Thing too that you kind of forget about is. When we started training, uh, you didn't know better um, about jujitsu. And what I mean by that is, like, when I started training, I tell you this all the time. I took all Pat's classes. I was always showing up for his beginner classes and all that. And we never did submissions. We just went into position, how to pass guard, how to get out of side control. Like, 
everything was positioned and we never like I didn't I don't remember learning a submission for months. And now you go to jiu-jitsu class and everyone's like, Well, can you show me how to do that Oma Plata that I saw on YouTube? And like everyone <laughs> yeah, knows I love what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, they know what jiu-jitsu is now. Back then I didn't know, but I couldn't say to Pat, like, hey Pat, could you show me uh this like flying triangle? Yeah. <laughs> like we didn't we just kept our mouth shut and we learned and I didn't even know submissions for a long time. And now looking back like my positional wrestling game got so good because the way i was taught and i never questioned my instructors whereas now you see like everyone knows what they want out of jiu-jitsu so they come to training and they want to know these cool submissions and you kind of lose that so i think even like when you came up when i came up like it was you just kept your mouth shut and you trained you did what your instructor said because you didn't know better you just kind of like i trust you to show me what you got to show me i'm just gonna do the technique that you've shown me instead of like oh i'll try i'll do the technique a couple times then I'm gonna start branching out and do my own yeah, thing. And right. Yeah. We didn't. We never did that. Yeah. Like you see that it's a very common occurrence in jujitsu classes. Like especially advanced guys, you'll teach a sweep or something like that. They'll do the sweep as they were taught a couple times, sometimes even less, <laughs> and then they start kind of doing their own thing. And I would never fucking dare to do that when yeah. I was coming up. Oh yeah. Because I right. do it now myself. I mean, I go to Nate's classes and I do the exact thing. I, I do his version and then I go, but I could do it this way and I could do it that way. So like, I know that's how people are thinking. Right. Um, but I look back and you never thought to do it's that. commonplace yeah. now, I think. Well, I like the idea you were also talking about, I think one of the byproducts of that thing being more positional and stuff is you're going to have this set of positions that you feel comfortable within, right? And, yeah. and then from there, you're going to add on you know all the all the different submissions or, or what you're doing with them. I mean, just the other day, a couple weeks ago, Jay uh, said to me, "I went right all the way through." Is that you know we're talking about grips, and he's like, "You know, <clears throat> this isn't catch and release." You know, and and it never occurred to me that I'm doing all this moving around as I'm passing, but you know, it's like sometimes you just gotta fucking grab and do not fucking let go, right? And so. Yeah. That changed even just in the last couple of weeks. It changed my passing game tremendously. Like I'm not gonna go who, and then we're gonna go here, and then we're gonna go here. I'm just gonna go, here. We go. This feels good. Let's go. The other day when uh, Nate was teaching, you're talking about details. That little hip, putting your hand in the exact right place, rolling on Monday night. It was crazy different. Right. It just that one little detail, right? Yeah. And then, but then you know, I roll with uh, with one of the black belts at the uh, the club. The guy who was teaching that night, and nothing even kind of worked like but you put the grip on and it's gone but and that's no 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 but standard. i love that i love no I'm, I'm saying that was what was so cool so i think we're a little lucky where we are because we have a number of different people teaching and they teach in different styles certainly the three black belts at our school teach different types of styles they can all teach each other's style i don't mean that but i mean they just will naturally go towards one type of style another type of style and another and we get that advantage i don't know that it would be the same if i were going to a school where there's this one black belt who teaches down low pressure style yeah and it's like that might be difficult and when you're going back to what you were saying before about you know just sort of doing what's there you add on the idea of loyalty to your school which is another topic completely you know, I think with wrestling, you know, you're going to end up, you go into the camp and you're going to go to this coach and you go to this camp and you get this coach and this coach. Some of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu kind of mm -hmm. attitude is like, I am your coach. You need to ask my permission before you go somewhere else. Our, our school, of course, is not like that. But we've had, you know, uh, experience with other people that have gone through that experience. And how do you... 
How do you adjust? I, At that point, you're doing just what you say. Yeah, you know? I credit a lot of my success, especially in the early days when I was competing a lot and I was winning all those high-level tournaments. Like that was happening because I was training everywhere, and I kind of like my loyalty that I believed in was. When I competed, and at the end of the day, I said Master J is my home school. You know, yeah. that's that's where I trained. But I probably trained at other schools more often than I actually trained there. I mean, we were training um, back then. We guys were at, like Tim Burrow's school. We were training with um, Dan yeah. Simler, his school. We were going down there all the time. We were getting like Hanan Borges was another one. We just we were finding the guys who were competing, and we were just going to wherever they were. And like obviously Jay was involved as well during that time. Like we were just finding groups of guys. Like wherever I could go, if I knew Jay was training somewhere, yeah, I'd go train with Jay. I mean, know? how awesome is that? I mean, and we found that it's not. So typical sometimes There's, around the country. You it's know? definitely not. I mean, especially if, if I look at, at just our geography, jujitsu schools in general, they don't want you to go. They're, uh, they're too self-conscious about it, about yeah. you going somewhere. They're afraid to lose you as a student. And I think that when, you know, the, the, uh, what I always want to do because I want to be competitive, I want to train with the toughest guys. You know what I mean? And so we would go, you know, I'd go train with you. Or like you know, like find the toughest guys to train with, and it was jujitsu is a funny thing when you get more advanced in that when you're a white belt and a blue belt and purple belt, you're absolutely all you're interested in, in it is learning, and you don't care how many times you tap. But something happens at the brown belt and black belt level where all of a sudden guys want to hide behind something, whether it's their academy logo or whatever. They don't want to go and train with the toughest guys. You know, they're afraid to be tapped in front of their students or they're afraid to go to other academies right and tap. Yeah. And that is fucking bullshit because, you know, I love training with Jimmy. You know what I mean? I know that's going to be a hard, hard as hell role. And sometimes he's going to get me and sometimes I'm going to get him. And that's fine. And I like... You know what I mean? If if we trained on a day and it's not my day and he taps me three times, I don't give a shit. All I walk away with is that I know that I got awesome training and that if something worked, it was going to work. And if something wasn't going to work, it wasn't going to work. And yeah. all I had to take away was that I had awesome training that day. And that's all we ever wanted when we're white belts, blue belts, and purple belts is awesome training. And I don't know why at a brown belt and a black belt level that that goes away. All right. Roll, go. What do you? What's your opinion about that? About what in particular? About you know black belts basically. Why are they all dodging me? <laughs> well, you got staff infection and AIDS, man. <laughs> well, Nobody wants to roll with guys with why AIDS. Why not, man? It's Can so you form that in a question? <laughs> Can you form your question in the form of a question? What is <laughs> philosophy? No, uh, just the, the sorry guys, we, we just uh, had a little pause for some food here, so we're picking up the topic. I was talking about like the, the fact that when you go to other academies and train, a lot of the time, uh, brown belts and particularly black belts, they don't want to train hard. They don't, they're not, I don't feel like the interest is there for them to get better the way it was when we were blue belts and purple belts, whereas... I think you do all the time. I know that Derek is like that. I know that you know when you train with a lot of the black belts that we g- get to train with all the time, they're always wanting to get tough roles in. But I don't think that's commonly the case. Yeah, I think like I go to a lot of schools where guys like the black belts just want to kind of watch you train, and they don't actually want to step on the mat. It kind of drives me crazy because there's this like feeling of accomplishment. It happens like frequently at blue belts. Like most people get their blue belt and never train again because that was like their life's goal was to get the blue belt. And it's like, I did it. And then they're done. And I think that like exists at the same time. Like for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to exist between purple brown. Like, but then when you get black belt, it's kind of that, like I did it. I'm a black belt. And like, 
it pisses me off because I'm like, the black belt really means nothing to me. Like, it was nice to get it. I don't mean to, like, disrespect it because I know people get worked up about that. But I'm like, it's a piece of cloth. It has no actual meaning. You're going to show up tomorrow and train the same way. Yeah. And so, like, to me, like, I like to go out there. And um, it actually drives me nuts because, like, sometimes people get the better me in a role because maybe I'm not going 100% or I'm working on something. And they're all like, oh, why are you going easy? I'm like, I'm not going easy. I was just training and, like... You caught me, but then they like in their head they're kinda like thinking like, Well, I shouldn't be able to beat a black belt. I'm like, Well, yeah, if I do stupid things. But if I do stupid things, I expect yeah. you like a lot of times like I'll get close to a submission and I always tell guys, I never wanna get submitted, but I wanna like feel threatened. And if I do like my competition style and Is this at home or is this on the map? <laughs> Do you like the choking? I can't or? speak about that. Uh, <laughs> my girlfriend will be mad. Um, but um, no, so the... Uh, I lost my chain of yeah, thought. Yeah, that happens sometimes <laughs> yeah. when, when that Safe happens. Word. Safe oh, you word. Saying, right? yeah, you so, were saying that you didn't... You yeah, know. well, like your competition style, like if I went into training every time I trained and I did what I do in competition, it would not be fun for either one of us. Like, because when I compete, you could look at all my matches and I mean, through every competition I've ever done, it's pretty much been takedown, knee cut, pass, side control, arm bar. And I do that to everyone I ever compete against. Um, and if I did that every time I trained, it would be very boring for everyone. So when I'm training, I'm working on things, I'm moving certain ways and doing things I wouldn't normally do so then people are like well you won the worlds and you won the pans how could i possibly beat you and because i'm not doing right now what i did when i won the pans i'm working on things i'm training at like a particular yeah, level this this right. shit just drives me fucking crazy the concept I, of yeah, there's there uh i think you should uh, train guys whatever from, you want to train you're yeah. training i think the it's guys drop Aptos, 150 bucks on the mat and watch what happens i right? just read this online there's like <laughs> someone said made a point of this like there's no cameras in the academy right yeah well when you know else I mean? are you gonna train this is what you were just talking about before. It all fits together. Are we doing aggression time right now? Or because okay, but are we gonna or am I gonna try? Like, you know, we did this seminar the other day, and it's like you put the arm here and you go switch it around, make an oil plot out of it. If we're doing aggression time, this is probably not a good time for me to pull that out of my ass, right? So when am I gonna practice that? I mean, <laughs> it drives me nuts because like in in jiu-jitsu, you can go pretty hard. Like I could like say, like, oh, if me and Jay trained hundred percent like what would happen, that type of thing. But um, it's more obvious because we would never be able to train like we were competing unless we were in the same division, same weight class and competing on that day because it's more obvious when you talk about MMA because um, like famously, like you have a good friend that you train with all the time and everyone wants to say like, oh, who would win? Who would win between you two? I'm like, we will never know. It's not even worth talking about because we're never going to get in a cage and fight each other. Um, so it's the same thing with jiu-jitsu. It's like we're never going to be in that position where – you know, we're in the middle of a mat, there's a referee, people are watching, we're on weight, you know, all this, all the excitement comes because that's two different things. That becomes how do you handle stress? How do you handle the nerves? How do you handle all this? And how do you actually compete? Very different from what's it like in the room when nothing is actually on the line. Um, so to actually make that like kind of, oh, who would win? Like, well, the only way I can answer that question is if we get in the same weight class on the same day and go to the, the Boston Open and we make sure that we're going against each other, that's how we decide who's better. Because in the room, I could care less. I get submitted by a white belt. That to me means nothing. You heard it here first. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't. I don't think like I'm like. Oh man, so that awesome. white belt is better than me now. Like that's right. it's irrelevant because that's not a competition setting. Right. Are are you can run about away, uh, competing more again. Like have you been out of competition for a little bit. Yeah. Kinda? Well, I think what happened is like I I had been competing a lot and I was loving it and doing really well with that. And um, 
there was actually my last competition. I won a series of the Abu Dhabi trials. I had got my brown belt that week, and then I lost in the finals um, of the black belt division wow. um, because they were brown and black was paired together at that time. And right at that time is when I started getting into the MMA. So I kind of went to that, and uh, the MMA screwed me up pretty bad, like, like I said, with the concussions and all that kind of stuff. And then the car accident that we mentioned too with Luke, <laughs> like, I was a mess for a while. I told my MCL after that because everything was just off and all that. Um, but now I'm what happened? Did, did he hit something? No, he just went literally like driving in a straight line on the highway, <laughs> drove off of the highway into a ditch and like rolled the car. Into, no way. Like, yeah, it was pretty bad. You got hurt yeah. pretty bad in that accident, right? Yeah, I got like a scar on the back of my head. My chest, I have like scarring across where like the seatbelt had like ripped everything open and like the front side was like burns across the front. And But the, the real bad stuff was the like stuff you couldn't see. It was like my body had twisted and everything. Yeah. So like every time I tried to train after that, like I still wanted to fight after that, like um, but I just couldn't every time I went to train, like something else pulled because everything's just all ripped apart and out of whack. So it was just it was a struggle for a long time. But now finally, that's kind of like, you know, <clears throat> I started work at the new PD. I bought a house. I'm kind of settled into this area. Kind of everything's falling into place. Now I'm getting to actually start training again. Um, so I'd like to get back into competition. I kind of I fueled that a little bit uh, last year because I went out to the Nogi Worlds. Um, but what that was really was my girlfriend. She trains jiu-jitsu too, and she's really good for where she's at. She's a blue belt female, and I knew that she could do well um, out at the Worlds. It was kind of like, oh, I, well, I've never competed before, and like almost like afraid. I'm like, well, at some point, you just have to do it because if you keep saying, I've never done it before, You'll never so do I'm it. not going to do it, you'll just never do it. It's like this like kind of... Build some regret there, yeah. Yeah. Um, so finally, I just basically said, look, I'll compete. Come out with me. I ended up for her birthday. We got like a trip out to California, whatever. Um, so we competed, but she did well. She took second in her weight class in the world. Nice. So she's second place at the Nogi Worlds, but I competed too. And um, it was nice because it was kind of like I got a taste of that again. I had only, I trained three times, I think three or four times, but I just went up to Plymouth <laughs> State University and I wrestled. <laughs> uh, so I literally went to like three wrestling practices or whatever. And I went out to the Nogi Worlds and um, I was happy. Just I wasn't expecting much out of myself. I hadn't competed in years. And uh, I won my first match against a guy who medaled at the Pan Ams. And then I made just a stupid mistake. I shot in against Tucer and got choked oh, yeah. like right away. Um, and that's, yeah. again, it's like a mistake. Like not saying that I would have eaten more at not, but like I wouldn't have that as much. I wouldn't have dove into a guillotine, but I just wrestled a couple times. I think it's there, there's <laughs> definitely something too, and I, I I'm kind of dealing with the same thing where I competed so much white belt through brown belt, and then took time off from competing. And it takes a a while to kind of get your sea legs back onto you as to how the jujitsu game works and how to behave during a during. I, I do think it takes time. Do you feel like you can't just I feel like you got to kind of do it a few times before. Yeah, and that's something I never experienced because I competed my entire life. Like I said, I until I kind of took that break for the last year, for basically 18 years, I competed regularly all the time because a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, I've been wrestling for like 20 years, but like really they wrestled for two years in high school and haven't wrestled again since, but they just count all that time for some reason. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but like I legitimately wrestled and competed in jiu-jitsu for like 18 years, and then I took like that kind of year and a half or so off when I got hurt and all that and I went back and for the first time I actually was like holy crap I have like rust like I would never like shoot into a guillotine I remember like even telling my girlfriend before that like we were talking about like things like guillotines I'm like you should never get guillotine like you move your hips the other way like takes people down all the time you blast through them you should <laughs> never ever happen <laughs> and it was like embarrassing afterwards I'm like yeah so it happens it, it once just, in a while every now and then but that's exactly what we're talking about those it just kind of takes like learning how to manage a match and um, that goes back to like philosophy on coaching as well because when I was in college 
I went from in high school, I wasn't that good of a wrestler. I, I very much so underperformed. And um, I didn't even place at the All-State Tournament, which when you, if you know about high school wrestling, it's really bad to have not even placed at All-States. But I went to college the next year, and I was top four in New England. Um, and then a year later, I was top four in the country. And that all came from, like, one coach I had, he basically just started teaching me how to manage a match. So it wasn't that I got that much better wrestling because you physically can't get that much better in a year. You can get a little bit better, but not the change I had. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that came down to like not giving up stupid points, knowing when to be aggressive, when to score, when to lay back, when to kind of stall a little bit. Like it was basically you learned how to manage a match. And that's the exact same thing that exists in jiu-jitsu is you need to know that you don't give up points. You don't like cheap things, like little takedowns. Like a lot of times if someone's like from the bottom, they're scrambling and you kind of sit to your butt to do an arm drag or something and get around and you just gave up two and you're kind of like oh crap i didn't even think of that like that's match management and that's how you win in competition is just the difference between those guys that are kind of good and really good is a lot of that match management so you like coaching i love coaching yeah but i i find it hard like i coached on the high school level for a while we had a actually coached an undefeated state championship team which was like the coolest accomplishment because i got like the ring and the plaque and all that and uh, (laughs) um so that stuff's really cool but it was frustrating to me because i coach at like I'm pretty aggressive, I feel like, when I coach. Like, I, I want things done a certain way, and I expect a certain level. And uh, if I don't have people that are willing to work as hard as I want to work, I don't enjoy the coaching. And that's like when I coached in college, I basically did it because I had a kid, Ricky Caruso, who he told me I want to be an All-American, and he proved to me that he would do what it takes to be an All-American. And he went in that one season from he hadn't even placed at the regional tournament to being an All-American in one season because wow. he was willing to put in that kind of work. So I, I got on the mat with him every single day. We wrestled. I told him, like, we... I told him how it needed to be done, what we needed to do. He went out and did it. And I'm like, that I enjoy. But then when you go back to almost like people that just don't want, I don't care if you're good or not, that doesn't really bother me, but are you willing to put in the work to be good? Because even like with jujitsu and stuff, you want to help guys and I want to teach guys, but it was kind of like how you were talking about earlier, we were talking about um, teaching a wrestling class. I'm like, everyone wants to like learn how to wrestle till you realize what wrestling is. It's time to wrestle. Yeah, and then they don't actually want to do it. And so it becomes frustrating to me because I don't want to spend my time with people that don't want to work as hard as I do. Well, I think it's super important, especially, you know, we're lucky to be around that you were talking about, uh, you know, uh, Rhonda and then and Pedro's and the the people that Rhonda studied with. And then... uh, you know, uh, Kayla Harrison and these people, um, oh, this is, these guys are all, you know, 20 miles from here. Right. And so, I mean, I have a little background with that, with that group too. And it's neat to sort of look at what makes a great coach. Right. And, and what you're talking about is you have this coaching style, which means you're going to be a great fit for the committed, you know, uh, someone who's already cut everything else out of their life and has this focus and that's, what's going to happen. And you need a different type of coach for someone who's taken, you know, some 40-year-old dude has decided to get his life in order and to come into a jiu-jitsu class, that may not be the right match, right? Yeah. But that's what I think is so cool about coaching and teaching, you know, certainly my, I have a life of teaching stuff that's not martial arts. And you just, you got to get the right people with the right coaches. And I think that goes back to what you were saying before about aggression. How do you, some, t- some people need to just learn how to be aggressive. Right. And then some coaches are like, I don't need to spend my time trying to convince some dude that he's okay and he can do this. I'm wired to do this. And and I I love that. I think that's fascinating. And that's one of those cool things, again, about jujitsu. You say we're on the ground floor. There's a lot of people who are just I became world champion, so I'm going to open up 22 schools. That really has nothing to do with coaching at all. You something like wrestling has been, especially in America, has been basically codified across the whole idea of this is a guy who teaches five-year-olds these are this is a a successful you know varsity coach in high school and you look at these guys who who go all the way so 
Yeah. I think that's a, a matter of maturity of the sport. The sport's way more mature. Yeah. I think jiu-jitsu, too, in particular, is split in kind of two categories of competition and um, hobbyists, kind of. Yeah. Because uh, that's like, for me, when you ask, like, do I like coaching? I really love, like, that hard-nosed wrestling coaching, but... And I feel like I'm good at that, but then I feel like it takes work for me and like to coach like hobby jiu-jitsu because that's when I was down at Lozon's. I was living down there with him, and I was teaching. I basically started the gi program there and taught that, right. and uh, I think it, it went really well, but it was like a lot harder because I had to really take a step back and be like, these aren't guys that want to compete. These aren't guys that are looking to be world champs. These are literally guys that come out of work and they enjoy the day. So like things like remembering every single student's name, when they come through the door, when you <laughs> tell them like their name, when they, they're like, holy crap, this guy cares about me. Yeah, like, it's, it's because so stuff. often like you saw other instructors and stuff, not there in particular, but at just schools in general, that just students come through the door. I'm like, okay, this is going to be class today. And there's no like personal interaction. And when you realize like... You have to write your name on your gi. Yeah. But like these people are showing up. If if they're not in there for competition, they're in there because it's something for them to do with their day. Like they look forward to go, coming home from work and just training for a little bit. And yeah. that's their hobby. So like you have to coach in two different ways, I think, depending on who you're dealing with. Well, it's more the school has to decide whether they're going to supply that or not. And if they are, well, then they have to think about that. It, has, it, yeah. it has to be... No school. I, well, I shouldn't say no school. A lot of them, I would say 90% of schools understand that there's a mix of students that you're going to get in into your academy. You know, some people are so competition driven. And guess what? They have like 55 students or 40 students or 30 students because that's all they cater to and they push everybody else out. You know, if a mom, 45 years old, wants to learn jujitsu and she shows up there, she's going to get pushed out in two months and say, like, that's just, jujitsu is not for me. It's a bad match. It's, it's not a bad the right match. Person, and yeah. it's also not the right way to kind yeah. of explain to them the way that jujitsu is. You have to manage both on, on, on the mat, like Jimmy was saying, on the mat, on, on any given night, you're going to have a mix of people. And well, you're going to roll uh, with. Depending on the school, right? Like you can say, this is a competition school. You're coming in here. Everybody's gonna have a pit bull tattoo, and they're gonna all kill each other. I think people. You're not gonna invite those forty five. People want both, and I think like especially like the example of being like at Lojans was most people there are competitors. That school is known for there's tons of guys that. That's what I mean. UFC fighters, a competition school. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of UFC fighters. Everyone's going in there, and you go on any given night. People are just trying to rip your head off. But when we started that gi class, and it came in, and like instead of being like, okay, everyone get ready to kill each other, it was like, hey, did you watch Game of Thrones this weekend? And like you start to have these personal relationships and now all of a sudden we discovered there was a market for hobbyists to come in and so my class was never about like let's kill each other it was like let's have a good time and all those people that want to go to work and come here like so i guess if you're doing a competition school and you have those students there's probably a market for those hobbyists as well you just haven't tapped it yet because you don't have anyone teaching in that way and i think the the thing for me it you know and there aren't a whole lot of people that are making millions of dollars with jujitsu and but jujitsu changed my life a lot. And I think that that's not just for the competitor to say, hey, you know, we're going to go compete. And you're going to test yourself at, at the Boston Open or the Pan Ams or the World Championships or Abu Dhabi. Or some people just want to be challenged with what happens on the mat every day, every day of their life. You know what I mean? They finish up work and they want to come in, they get a, get a workout and figure out how to not panic and not give up. And, you know, that person may not be a black belt someday or they may not win a gold medal, but jujitsu is maybe debatably more important for them than it is for anybody else. You know what I mean? And so that's why I say, like, I hope, I, I tend to feel this way and I hope that most academies cater to both types of people because those people maybe need jujitsu more 
than Jimmy Quinlan did because yeah. Jimmy Quinlan already was self confident. He was already an awesome, you know, a world class wrestler. Jimmy needs his jujitsu, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you don't I need your jujitsu. So I found jujitsu. Yeah, jiu-jitsu like let's face life. it. Let's let's face it. By the way, you're a jujitsu guy now, and that's the way it is. Yeah, I mean, if I could still wrestle like competitively, I, I would like. I have dreams of like maybe like giving it a shot and doing like um, world style, like the freestyle and folk style type stuff, like the. Uh, that type of thing. Like I have guys like even that I work with now that they're training that and they're trying to get me every day, but I'm just like, can you explain <laughs> the difference between those? Like- yeah. So it's pretty simple and freestyle or I should start with folk style. So anything you see up until basically your senior year of college is called folk style wrestling. And, um, you're basically looking at takedowns, hold the guy down and turn them to their back. So you're traditionally like trying to pin the guy, um, in all styles of wrestling, the objective is to pin the guy, but it doesn't happen very often in the, uh, like the Olympic level wrestling. Um, and the reason isn't because everyone's so good. It's because the style is different in folk style, which is the high school style of wrestling. Um, you can't just lay there. You get called for stalling. In folk style, in uh, Greco-Roman, you have to you, like you belly out. Yeah, you spread arms and legs, belly out. You try to stall to get back up to feet. Um, I've explained that really poorly, but essentially, Greco-Roman is which one is Greco-Roman? You can't attack the legs. Greco-Roman is you have to be waist up when you're wrestling. So yeah. you basically just um, upper body type stuff. You can kind of use your legs to maneuver into positions, but you can't attack the legs. Um, freestyle, to put it simply, is everything amplitude throws like kind of just the full-on everything is everything goes pretty much um the difference is between basically the difference in folk style and freestyle really comes down to the mat wrestling and olympic styles freestyle amplitude throws all that but once you hit the ground it's belly out and kind of spread your arms and legs and don't move whereas in folk style which is the high school style when you get taken down you wrestle on the mat you try to get up the other guy's trying to turn you and pin you um and you don't have the danger when you stand up you don't get launched with like a belly to back suplex and break your neck because um, that's why you don't do that in, in folk style you don't stand up from the bottom because if you stand up and a guy has you behind you're the waist blasted, you're launched and you're gonna probably die you break your neck um <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's what that's the difference is kind of in like the rule set like that but um the problem is i grew up doing folk style i consider myself very very good at folk style wrestling i now go and wrestle with the same guys that i can beat pretty easily in folk style and i'll lose to them in freestyle and greco because of things like getting pushed out of bounds counts as a point um the styles are just very different so um i do have like pipe dreams and maybe like giving it a shot i'm just kind of doing a couple like tournaments of wrestling and seeing like how i could do in freestyle folk uh freestyle and greco um well what's keeping you from doing it? honestly just being hurt like the last year stuff um i just i started kind of wrestling with those guys again but um to be honest i kind of like lack like motivation lately just because you know the tournaments i don't know like how to access them like when you think about jujitsu the easy thing is you know there's a schedule online that tells you exactly where to compete and all that mm. um for the freestyle and the greco they're kind of like scattered around the country and um there's really nothing holding me from doing it it's just a matter of like anything else in jiu-jitsu, I'm super confident in my skills. I know what I can do. And just, it's like, oh, go compete. It's easy. I'm that, like, kind of person on the other side of it in wrestling that, like, oh, well, where do I go to compete? Where are the tournaments? Where do I do? Like, you, like <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? So there like, isn't, like, a team situation that you can be part of. No, that's thing is there's no, there's no teams and things like that. Um, there's guys you can find that kind of know. Like, I have a couple guys that know how to do it and how to access the tournaments and stuff, but it's almost like I'm that scared kind of person in jiu-jitsu that's, like, asking about, like, oh, right. should I compete or should I not? Because you have to dive into it all Yeah, but it sounds it's like there's, I mean, I don't know shit about your the situation, but it sounds like there's an opportunity there for someone yeah, to get a little yeah. bit of an organization together and say, you know what, let's just put these guys together and let's do this. Yeah, 100%. I think 
um, now as I was talking about, like my body's feeling healthy again, I think I can compete and I can start actually training at a high level again. Um, now when I start doing that, I'd like to just try, and very likely I could go out and get smashed in freestyle wrestling and just be like, okay, well I tried it and I'm just not good at it, whatever. Um, but then I could also do well and like continue to pursue that. So I kind of, I want to just kind of put myself out there and train hard for it and just do it and kind of see where it goes because I do love wrestling and it's kind of sad to think like there's really no avenues for wrestling other than that elite level. It's um, it's so scholastically driven, I think, in in the United States that unless you really made that transition into Greco, maybe you had an Olympic dream, you know what I mean? You get into Greco that way. By the way, I watched the the Carolyn Gardner fight the other day, and I was like, boy, this is boring as all uh, shit. Uh, uh, like this what, is um, there's uh, like. No, no, no! Wrestling when when Gardner beat Carolyn for the oh, first Carolyn time. Oh, Carolyn Gardner! You mean from wherever ever ago? Yeah. Oh, I thought you yeah. meant in today. Like, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, I this is the Carolyn. most. Carolyn, I was right. kind of trying to catch right. you. Carolyn. Yeah. He, Carolyn, he meant the yeah. Russian Alexander dude. Carolyn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like the wasn't most. Wasn't he considered the greatest? <laughs> it's the is. only time he it, ever it's lost. It's not a debate. All right, right, right. I mean, I'm not saying that as disrespect. He went. I'm sorry. Know that name, right? You know me with the five W's. I get it. So you just watched that recently, and. And and I was, I was like, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's boring like that. That's why the Olympic styles have struggled because, um, especially when you get to that elite level, they're boring. Think about like, kind of those highest level black belt matches. A lot of them tend to be boring. It's yes. like slow passing stuff. But that's like all of like Greco-Roman wrestling right. at the elite level. So Happens that's jiu-jitsu too. You can yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you just you get more exposed to all the different levels of jiu-jitsu. Where you see like the guys um, like Keenan that are doing crazy things. You're like, man, that's awesome and exciting. And you're seeing all the, the different guys. Whereas in like wrestling, every match is like that Greco slow. Right. And you the can appreciate in that grinding. Match, the difference in that match. So they they were both they were both over unders standing up. And the fact that Corellin unlocked first, unlocked yeah. first for but like one second. That was a rule change that year. So that was Corellin dominated for thirteen years, and that first match he ever lost was based on a rule change Jesus. that just they just made up a new rule, and Corellin made the like the slip on that. And he strange. almost picked up Gardner from flat on his stomach, flat like a pancake, oh, arms out. It. He almost picked him up. Yeah. And got that that, that moves that named after him. It's like the Corellan gut wrench. He just a, a backwards, like it's a reverse gut yep. wrench. That and he just, just deadlifts people right off the ground. It was insane. Gardner was huge. Yeah. And where do you even stand? How do you get your feet so that's that, unbelievable? So watching him do this is incredible. Right. If you actually watch it, like pull up a video of Corellan doing like his um, yeah. like kind of reverse gut wrench. He starts on his knees and he lifts you up from his knees and just kind of he uses like counterbalance of your body yeah, yeah. to rock himself back to his feet into like a sitting position and then just launch it. It's like and incredible then to you're watch. Fucked. Yeah, the strength he had is just like it doesn't look right. Like it looks like a video game it, or something. It, it does look weird because it doesn't seem possible for him. I do stuff like that all the time. That is George's game, by the way. Yeah, the picture of him. I've seen a picture of him like looking fierce. Yeah, well, he's I mean, a scary looking scary, guy, dude. I don't know if all his there's, pictures there's, are like there's that. There's some but controversy there's one. around him that goes with him too. Not that we need to go there, but you know, the reality is, the reality is that's a scary thing to look at, no matter what, right? Yeah. yeah. All I'll finish that topic with is Manny Ramirez is the best red-handed batter since. Manny Williams. could hit the ball, dude. I don't care There's what no you doubt. want to say. I don't know. I, I don't know how did he do in so, the Little League World Series. That's what I want. Yeah, well, that's the question. There's some I questions mean, surrounding like, George Law oh, back there was in the substance. day. There was a lot of banned substances in my body. None of them were performance <laughs> enhancing, though. I'm sure performance reducing. Uh, <laughs> I was on the Diaz uh, plan. The plate is where? Yeah, man? what? You want me like, to do what? 
All right. All right. So I'll do it. I'm I'm hoping that you decide to start competing competing in jujitsu again more more often because yeah. I dude. We're having a blast going to these different tournaments. And yeah. The Pans was you're the like, best time of my life, man. Yeah, you're like, well, this sounds really bad for me to call you the missing link. Maybe you are the missing link. I mean, when I miss but, it, like, when we thought about it, like, back in the day, like, I probably had a span of, like, three, four years where I competed at every tournament and, like, was winning them all. Like, I just felt like I was doing awesome. And then the MMA kind of was like that little hitch where I stopped competing call. and... Yeah, I, I kind of had to do it. I had to see where I could go with it and how far I could take it. But now I kind of miss competing. But it's that weird thing where, like, as injuries pile up and stuff, you kind of hope that you can stay healthy. So that's, like, my main thing now is when I get on the mats, it's, like, I don't care if I win or lose as much as I just want to be healthy when <laughs> I, I get, get off the mat. Yeah, but no, I miss that so much, just being able to just train with, like, just find the best guys you can find and train with them and get ready for a tournament. So yeah. well, We recently went out to the uh, Pan Ams. I, I went along, uh, along with uh, another... Uh, gentleman from the club to sort of chaperone you scamps um <laughs> well who uh, but uh, hey, but no but watching watching the group uh of these guys both uh, jay and george competed and uh, along with a number of other people from sbjj and from our place and watching the whole thing work as a team was inspiring as fuck i mean it's great uh, the comparison, I couldn't, I can't help but make the comparison. I know you guys could get tired of me doing this, but like the difference between going out by yourself and playing a bunch of shows as a musician and going out with your band is just a completely different thing. The band has its own internal energy that you just feed off of and you realize everybody's feeding off each other's energy, but there's really no reason why that it should exist because everybody's still doing the same thing that they would do by themselves, but you can just go forever. Yeah. And that feeling of watching you guys support each other and the whole group working as a team, just, it was uh, an amazing experience. And, and to be direct, it, I couldn't believe how many other teams were doing the same thing. It was as cool watching those teams work in a way, not quite as cool because they weren't awesome like us, but they weren't right. team wild stallions. Yeah. And, and so that, that's kind of why I was going that with you. I mean, I'm sure if a bunch of guys said, Hey, we're going to go do this, you'd probably yeah. hop on. I would love to. Right? I'm like, honestly, I get jealous when I see like what you guys are doing now. Cause all those years I competed, most of the time I was going by myself. I yeah, I think that's what Jay was saying. Are you missing that thing? Yeah, well, like, you could totally come along yeah, next yeah. time, right? <laughs> I guess. Now it's just a matter of getting, like, time off of work and right. things like that. But, like, back in the day when I was competing, like, it sucks because, like, I have, like, I compete against Buchecher and all these, like, big-name guys that I don't have video of because I was alone. Uh, no one was there to even record right. my matches. Oh, no. You know, so like, and there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing worse. I give so, you a hug, man. It's so yeah, hard now, because I'm together. Right there's that now, team man. atmosphere, which I love. That like you oh, feed man. off that so much. Just being Plus, out we there went to guys. Brazilian barbecue I'll, together. It was so fucking great. I'll tell so you, nice. there's there's something about walking out on the mat, and so different high level guys go and they get you know people start screaming. When you walk out on the mat and you hear 25 people go crazy <laughs> when you walk out on the you. mat, you're like, yeah, that shit's for me, motherfucker. Yeah, dude, it's awesome. Not to mention, not to mention, like. At, you know, at this level, like at the black belt level, like you don't really need a whole lot of like watch your arm, like watch out for this. Here comes the sweep. It's more like give me time <laughs> and points. Anyway, but give me time and points all the time so I know what's, what, what's happening so I don't have to look. Yeah. Like, I'm going to look anyway. You know what I mean? But it's important for me to know like if the ref starts looking at his watch. You know what I mean? Like have I, am I stalling too much? Have I held position for too long? You know what I mean? It's important for somebody to be like, you gotta go. Here it comes. It's gonna. It, you, you're gonna get stalling. You gotta go. Or two minutes. You're down by one. Or you need an advantage. Or whatever it is. Like yeah. hold on to that choke. There's ten seconds left. Like that's really really helpful shit. 
regardless of your level, like so that you don't have to worry about that part. You can just manage your own match, and someone's going to give you time and points. That's kind of nice. But the other part is what makes it awesome because the the there's there's it's not just nerves; it's also your comfort level in the building. Like you're like, oh, I got to show up and I got to check in. And I got to do my own thing, and I don't really talk to anybody. Or I show up with 15 people every day, my own crew. Like I, I'll I'll draw an illusion here. When I graduated college, I went to St. Anselm with 12 people from my graduating class. And 90% of them were on the same floor of my dorm. There was no break-in for college for me. Like, all of my friends were there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, was, it made it really easy to be in an environment which, for most people, was kind of uncomfortable. Not really uncomfortable for you because you had competed for so long in wrestling and you were fairly comfortable in that environment, but... Yeah, but Imagine we had teams though, like that, that was the thing too. Is like you, you had teams, and like that, that makes me perform better than anything else. Is knowing like when my teammates, like I got better in college because we had a kid, Frank Camisa, came in when I was a junior. He was a freshman, and he was a badass. He was a four-time national qualifier and all that. But I would be damned same if weight I, as you, or no, way lighter. Yep. So we didn't compete against each other. Yeah. But I would be damned if he went out there and like stole my thunder like so if he went out and <laughs> he won someone, and you didn't if he right. pinned someone i was making sure i pinned someone and if he didn't pin someone i sometimes didn't pin people because i was just kind of like oh i don't frank didn't so i don't have to because I, <laughs> I don't have this like bar to like keep like over and uh, that's another thing about competing is that when you have that team there you're constantly that internal competition that like for instance like if me and you me and jay are competing together if i watch jay win i'm like well i'm not gonna let him be like the world champion i'm not gonna be like i'm not gonna go home in second place when jay won like so like that internal competition is very important so like having the team there helps and they said i had that with wrestling which when i went to jiu-jitsu it was nice. I had like Aaron come out with me a couple times, and then I was going out alone. But even an like Asian guy, yeah, you hung out with an Asian yeah, guy. Yeah, I know. Low, <laughs> low spawn life. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, so like even you know going he's out to like, hear this, he liked the podcast earlier today, so I know he's oh, going to hear it. Yeah, um, <laughs> but even going out to like there was a couple times like similar and Junior, the kid from Tim Bowers School, they were just out mm-hmm. at the pans one year, and like that was an awesome year because like you get like someone like Junior who was a purple belt, I was a brown belt at the time, and like he was like looking up to me to win, like type of thing, like holy Jimmy pushes. Yeah, because people are like Jimmy's the best. Like, but like on like a world scale, I wasn't the best. But in my mind, I was kind of like, well, this guy thinks I'm the best. I got to make sure I'm the best. And I went out and won because like I'm not going to disappoint these people I know who are watching me. Right now, it's a little different too because it's on like TV or whatever. You can get the stream and. I know I disappointed you this year. Cause like right as like between matches, Jay texted me. I was like, "Hey, I got the stream, man. I'm watching you. Good luck." And then I lose my next match. In you five know what's seconds. funny? <laughs> we were we we were texting back and forth. Like it was stupid shit too. You're like, "Ah, oh, well, you know, it went the distance." And I'm like, so I kind of just laid. I got a little bit tired, so I just kind of laid. I'm kind of exhausted. I'm gonna go sit down. Yeah. And we're oh, like I'm joking so back. We're like, "You're such a pussy." And yeah. Going back, it was it was hysterical. He's like, "Oh, they call my name. I gotta go now." I'm like, "All right, well, I'm watching." Yeah. <laughs> You know, so I, I think we, you know, there's, we were talking about some tournaments this summer. It'd be a great, I feel the same way, like, you know, to have people there to push you. I love that, man. Just even knowing that you like were back home on stream, that means a lot to me because it's like, you know, other people are doing that too. And it's like, you kind of get in your own little world when you're out there competing. And then all of a sudden you realize like, holy crap, people back home care about this. And there's like a lot more to me. I don't take that as pressure. I take that as like performance enhancer. Inspiration. Yeah. yeah, It makes you kind of be like, well, now I got people like that. I have to win for too. Other than just myself. Yeah. And it seemed like to be, there was a level of that too with you guys as I'm talking, I'm looking at at like Jay with the, as a black belt who had some of your own students there too. Like, so now you're going, you're going like, you're watching some of your guys go and they're watching you go. And all of that stuff just raises everybody's game. The, The guys, your guys are going, I need to do this 
Jay's right here. My guy is right here. This is the guy who taught me how to do this. I have to come through like a fucking man. And then Jay's going out and, and he's competing. He's going like, I got to do this for my guys. Like you could just feel all that raise the level of competition so well. And, and again, it feels like that was a shield against all the other teams that were doing exactly the same fucking thing. Some of the people barely spoke English, but they still came with a team. They still had their, you know, they're coming in and they're, they're whatever professor or their instructors going out on Sunday or Saturday. And it was really cool. It was a real cool situation to see such an individual sport being treated as such a team sport. Yeah. And that's what like, we talk about too, though, when you talk about the black belts that are afraid to like compete even in the room. And that's right. so nice to see like the guys like Jay and Pellegrino that like, they're not only there, black belts man. competing in the room, yeah. they're competing out and like their students know, like win or lose, awesome. that has no reflection. Like all the students Seriously. love that. But so many love black it. belts are yeah. like afraid of it. They're kind of like, oh, well, Made well, me, I mean, but, fired me up, right. dude. Fired yeah. me up. But to be but to be, to be fair, I mean, obviously we went to a place where there were a crap load of black belts that were putting on the line. And and there's certainly people around the area. I mean, in the this is a, the Northeast podcast. There's a lot of black belts in the Northeast that are willing to put their ass on the line and so we're, we're certainly not calling anybody out yeah. it's just that it's it's there it's the way it is there are there's an example of both I it's think certainly now, not only boston brazilian jiu-jitsu i mean there's a, yeah. there's a lot of people especially around, now right? as more and more guys like black belt is becoming much more common so it's not a right. big of a deal like it used to be like if you had a blue belt you could find to train with you like holy crap there's a blue belt around yeah, like, yeah. that's awesome whereas yeah. now like there's so many black belts around that it's less and less of like well, a thing. Right. And look at what's it. happened with like guys right. like Tom DeBlas and or, or Marcelo. I mean, is a great example. And these are all people that are relatively in the area. They're, they're a state away. And these are people, I mean, they're, look at all the guys from Marcelo, all the black belts from there that are putting it online. So, I mean, I, it, it's, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make something, a situation where we're being misunderstood. I mean, we're certainly not calling out, oh, there's all these guys. There are. And, a lot of those guys are just, you know, they're not interested in competing and they're still badasses. But there are definitely examples of people who are sort of co-opting the awesomeness of a black belt. And, yeah, and but not Marcelo is not ducking people. Right. Yeah. They show up at his academy. Right. Look, so they're it, all over the place. What I'm not going to call anybody out, but I will tell you, like, if you're running an academy, you should be rolling with your... If you're still physically able, you should be rolling with your students. Your high-level people should yeah. be rolling with your students. It's the only way that they... Like you were talking about, like, oh, I do all this stuff and it works. And then... You know, I roll with Derek, and it doesn't work. No, oh, it doesn't even start to you work. You know, it shouldn't work. It's not supposed to work. I can't even get in the goddamn car. If he doesn't want it to, it should not work. Like, I love that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's really important to feel that, to feel the progression of your t technique from it works on white belts, it works on blue belts, it works on purple belts, it's now more, it works on brown belts, and now I can do the same technique to black belt. Jay, it's the most important thing for me. This is one. That's why I'm at this school. If, if I'm walking around the school like I'm a badass... This is not the right fucking school. I mean, the best <laughs> thing about that school is... So you better is, slow your roll, buddy. Yeah. Well, it's a little different when I roll with you, but... Oh, jeez. The bottom line is... <laughs> oh, my No, God. it's a great thing. There, there's sometimes it's a... Sometimes I'm, I'm fucking dominating, you know, yeah. like, eh, you know how it goes. But then it's <laughs> great to be, uh, to be that just... There's what not a chance. There's yeah. no chance. It's just not even getting out of the fucking... The I think that's not important as the instructor to know that like it's a good thing for your students to start beating you. I think that's something like Nate said. Like, at this point, like, realistically, I can beat Nate. Like, and it's like this weird thing where like... <gasps> Did you just say he could beat Whoa. your instructor? Like, right? Like, but no, Nate, that's, Nate will that tell you. Like that's, but that's what I love about Nate yeah. is that he tells you, like, I want all of my students to beat me. That is the goal. Is if my that's, students it, can beat me, I've done a good job. That's, and like, that's not jujitsu. That's all yeah. teaching. If you can teach your student to 
be better at the thing you're yeah. teaching than you, how are you not yeah. the best but then teacher? Even saying That's a that great too, teacher. Though, it's important to note that like that doesn't make me feel like I'm now better than Nate. It oh, means no, that, like my no, no, competitive, no. I'm younger, I'm in like I'm I was a professional athlete for a while doing this. Um, and when it comes to the technique and everything, Nate's still like JC's the most technical guy but most of us know. Right. Um, so it's not to say you better, but like when it comes to competition, I intend like in ten years, I don't expect to beat any of my twenty five year old monster wrestlers. Well, I mean, it's, my it's, ass. Is like, Marcelo supposed to go out on the absolute at the pans because Faria just won and go, well, you know, you're my student, so I have to go kick your ass now in front of all these people. It has nothing to do with it. Yeah. You, the reason why he's going to Marcelo is to, to, to learn what Marcelo has to teach him. It's not because he has to get beat. Yeah. And by the way, both of those guys are like two of the nicest guys I've ever oh, That's met exactly what I'm saying. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. I think a great, like, a great coach is not, the goal isn't to beat all their students. The great coach yeah. is to make all their students better than themselves. That's kind of the point. Is like, as a black belt, I don't think you need to go on the mat and win, but you need to be going on the mat and rolling with your students so they can see that and stuff. And if you lose, that's good. Like you've accomplished something because your students are now better than you are. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think people kind of lose sight of that, that like the black belts are the ones that should continue to be training. So I, I feel like there's probably still a lot more to talk about, um, you know, Jimmy, if you ever want to do this, I, like, I would love to have you back and talk Fuck about that. We again. totally need a part two. Dude, we, did, we, talk, right? we talk about shit we got today. New York and Boston coming this summer. Let's go do that shit and we'll come back or maybe, maybe get on the mat after, after the Boston or after the New York and talk then we'll like saddle up somewhere and do a, a podcast on the road and talk about it. Let's do it, man. Let's start That's training and go Sounds compete. Awesome. Definitely. Awesome. All right, guys. Uh, anything to add, George? That's it, buddy. Nice. It's you, been real. You just taking some practice cuts, waiting for the Little League World Series reunion? Yeah. I mean, we've already had one where we played the uh, Celebrity Bruins Ice Sharks. Did you? And uh, <laughs> did you play the, the the Cuban team that wore their? Uh, that that was. Wore... I believe they were from the Dominican. Oh, I'm sorry. They, they, the they now they now know that they need to wear the cup on the inside of their pants. <laughs> um, I'm so sure the racist. second reunion. You are the most racist. It has nothing to do with that. Just... You are so racist. Oh boy. Oh jeez. So guys, uh, thanks for listening. Um, that's going to wrap up the episode. Keep an eye out for the next episode coming out soon. Have a great night. Mm-hmm.